Tuesday, March the 28th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. So our schedule is going to be a little cattywampus this week. We're going to be all over the place, but we're going to get you all the great content. We'll get you everything out there. On this episode, it's going to be Mandalorian episodes three and four, deep dive, recap, and review with Tim Kelly. And then we're also going to get an early look into the four stakes races this weekend at Oaklawn Park. So we'll talk about the Arkansas Derby. We'll talk about the Fantasy. We'll talk about the Oaklawn Stakes and we'll, or the Oaklawn Mile. And we'll talk uh, also about the Hot Springs. So four races, three of them graded stakes races on the Oaklawn Saturday card. Matt DeSantis joins me. We spend about an hour diving into those. And then Tim Kelly helps me out with the Mandalorian deep dive, recap, and review. A little later on in the week, we'll have a full WrestleMania roundtable. We'll dive into everything going on this week. We'll go through the full card. We'll also have Gulfstream Park analysis with uh, Barry Spears. So plenty more content coming this week. Big racing days at, at Oaklawn Park and at Gulfstream this weekend. So we'll have a lot of focus there. We'll talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. And uh, we'll also have The Mandalorian, episodes three and four right here. If you want a little more help with the NCAA games, make sure to follow me on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. Just because of the schedule this week, I probably won't be covering those on the podcast, but we will be doing individual game previews with uh, with live streams and the same thing for NBA. If you want some help with the NBA this week, just give me a follow. It's me, Gino B. And uh, over at BTV Bets at Better Than Vegas, we'll talk NBA on Wednesday and on Sunday. So everything you need. Baseball season starts. Baseball's coming up this week. Next week, we'll have a baseball preview on this uh, podcast. I did want to mention one thing before we move along. Um, I did have a, a loss in the family recently. My Uncle Ed passed away. My mom's sister, my Aunt Kathy, her husband, he was a huge part of my family. He's been around my entire life. I've never had a holiday without Uncle Ed around. Any Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, was always there every birthday. I was very lucky. I've always had a good relationship with my dad. Uncle Ed was always there if I ever needed anything to. Um, really sad, was not expecting it, 73 years old. It was not as if he was sick and we were preparing for this. And it's been very, very tough on the family. So we actually have a funeral coming up this week on Thursday. So I'm recording everything a little bit early this week. I'm going to get some of the shows out a little bit early because it's uh, going to be a little bit harder to do so later in the week. So if you can, just uh, some positive thoughts for the family and for uh, really uh, my aunt Kathy, uh, my cousin Vicky, and her kids. They were were you know so close with him as we all were. The, anyone's positive uh, thoughts and prayers would, would definitely help. I know some situations, thoughts and prayers aren't helpful, but in a situation like this, they they do help. And knowing uh, just even when people reach out and, and tell us they're thinking of us, it is it is helpful. So uh, hopefully we can uh, we can do our best as a family to to get through this together. It's not going to be easy, and it's obviously never easy making the transition from talking about serious real world stuff over into the uh, the sports and the pop culture and everything that we talk about here. But we will do that on this episode. That's what G said. That is presented by betterthan.vegas at BTV Bets. Go give them a follow. Free sports analysis each and every day. Videos, live streams, all sorts of handicappers and gamblers from around the world providing free analysis to help you become a better better.
Let's dive on into horse racing on this episode. First up, we're going to talk about Oaklawn Park this weekend with Matt DeSantis. We talk about the four stakes races for Oaklawn Saturday, April the 1st. Kick back and enjoy. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Better. You want to spread your pony knowledge by. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. I cannot believe we are already into the Arkansas Derby. We are into this final round of preps. Gino Bacola here with Matt DeSantis. Matty, buddy, how you doing? Thanks for joining me today. 
Yeah, thrilled to be here. And it's uh, been a crazy ride that we're already this far into the prep season. And I mean, it's almost past us at this point and we're getting ready for the Kentucky Derby. So it's an exciting time to be joining you and talking to you. Now, I got to give you a ton of props. This year in particular, you have been working your butt off, man. You do <laughs> previews in each week. You do live recaps and reactions to the races as they're going, stuff right afterwards. So you are definitely do, uh, tuned in, dialed in to all of the preps. I've seen you've covering the international ones as well. So before you and I talk about the Oakland races this weekend, because that's uh, what we'll be focusing on, there's four stakes races at Oakland, three graded stakes races. It's the Arkansas Derby. So Kentucky Derby points on the line, Kentucky Oaks points on the line. We're going to dive into those races. But since we're talking about the three-year-old, since we're talking about the Derby and the prep races, I had to get your uh, thoughts real quick on what the current point standings looks like. So mm-hmm. as we look at, uh, KentuckyDerby.com. Here's a look at the leaderboard right now with two fills up top. And I will throw it to you for the pronunciation of the number two, because I know this is a horse that's <laughs> going to be on a lot of your exotics, right? He absolutely is. Derma Sotogake is nice. a, a great well horse that is absolutely can do the distance. And what you saw at the UAE Derby was just a little bit of what he can do. He's not traditionally a front runner. So, you know, I think some people want to classify him as these Japanese horses are going to burn up on the front end. That's not his running style. He inherited that lead because nobody else really wanted to go. And he went and it was the right tactical decision. But most of his races in Japan, he sits mid-pack. Love this horse. And as we kind of continue down, we saw Kings Barnes get a big win. But as of right now, I mean, we're going to see Forte this weekend in the Gulfstream Park in the Florida Derby. He'd have to take a big step backwards in that race to not feel like he is hands down the horse to beat of all of these right now, right? Yeah, and I think when you look at that field in the Florida Derby, to some extent, if he doesn't win by open lengths, that would almost be an upset yeah. uh, because he's heads and shoulders above the rest of that field. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe a horse like Mage makes a little bit of an improvement, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, he's he's the class for sure. Yeah, yeah and, and that's, I mean, kind of getting past Forte, you know, practical moves, had a couple big wins, confidence game, mm-hmm. Angel of Empire, Grace Kane, recent big prep winners. We need to see, at least for me, I need to see like another big race from any one of them before I really feel like I can put them into like a top tier more than just, Hey, good horse might've been the best that day, the way the race shaped up and they may have got the trip. I I need to see a little more from this next group. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think honestly, it's funny, the horse that's actually on top of the list in terms of the overall point standings two fills is, is kind of not a flashy horse. Obviously he came Mm -hmm. off a win at the Jeff Ruby, but he feels a little bit, and I'm going to, evoke a name that you know i'm quite fond of he feels a little bit like simplification in Mm -hmm. terms of like this horse that's just super honest Honest. he's got a good foundation he always runs his race and he's probably going to end up in the superfecta in some capacity at the kentucky derby even if he's maybe not the flashiest horse with the biggest pedigree and you got to love that larry ravelli's in the kentucky derby yeah so just wanted to take a little peek here and it's kind of interesting to look at horses who are now on the outside looking in. We'll see rocket can. Uh, we just saw disarm with a, a nice effort um, on the outside looking in horses that need the points. Now are horses like hit show, go rocket ride, who we're going to see show up in the Santa Anita Derby. Um, and then below them, kind of an interesting sort of group of, uh, of runners with reincarnate who we'll yeah. see Skinner cyclone mischief verifying, Shadow Dragon, Victory Formation, WNL. Like these are all horses and mage right yeah. here who we're going to see running in the next few weekends that all need the points. 
So that's what will sort of come into play with this next uh, final prep. Also, remember, these are horses that uh, there is no Kentucky Derby for them if they don't get the points to get in. So they're not they're not able to necessarily worry about a couple races down the line (laughs) like the horses uh, at the top of the points list have that luxury. So, uh, yeah, just a quick look. Remember, if any of you ever want to go check out what the uh, the Kentucky Derby standings uh, look like, you can just go to KentuckyDerby.com, check out the leaderboard there, and you can look at the uh, the Phillies as well. But for our focus today, Matt, we're going to be talking about Oaklawn Park. And uh, as we talk about Oaklawn Park, Matt, there are four graded stakes races. Are there four stakes races at Oaklawn Park, correct, on Saturday? Three three of them are graded and overall what was your just initial thought of the Saturday card I'll pull up the past performances from DRF and we'll dive in I believe we're going to start in race number five for our first look yeah I was really impressed by the card that they put together there are some really nice names there are some horses that are actually in one of the races are kind of dropping off the Derby trail, but are still, I think, good quality stakes horses uh, that are three-year-olds. But there's some familiar names that are coming back to the track that we've not seen in a little while. I think the fields in both the Fantasy and the Arkansas Derby are particularly deep, very evenly matched. I- I'm really excited about this card. I think it's great betting opportunities. Me too. And I got to say, just um, because you and I in the last couple of years have been doing the uh, the weekly Stable Duel live streams and we do, we've do we done a lot of work with Stable Duel and Oakland's not a, a track that has that. It's just <laughs> not a track where I have gotten to look at as much as I had in years prior. Um, yeah. You know, for week to week, we've sp- I've spent, and you and I, when we've done these shows with Barry and stuff, we've spent a lot more time Gulfstream, Santa Anita. Um, so I, I, man, I miss, I miss getting the chance to dive in on these really good cards to Oakland because I really enjoy the racing over there. It's a good product, and I, I agree with you. This is a good card, um, at least a couple nice opportunities for prices. So let's pull up the DRF PPs, and if you ever need any help with your handicapping, I always uh, recommend Daily Racing Form, DRF.com. The Formulator-style PPs are the ones that I uh, always love, and they even have the opportunity for you to check out the Timeform US PPs. We love some of those folks at Timeform US, Craig Milkowski, David Aracona, some really, really sharp people over there. Yep. Uh, Maddie, let's dive into race number five. It's the grade three Oaklawn Mile. Some familiar names in here, and I thought a very intriguing race just from a, a starting point going inside out. We have Smile Happy, who, and looking back at his past performances, <laughs> if he, he was favored in the Bluegrass last year. Had he won the Bluegrass he probably goes into the Kentucky Derby and is like six to one or so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I like mean, second his, choice, probably. Probably so. I mean, it, because I mean, Zandon ended up kind of taking that mantle after winning the Bluegrass, and you know, his trainer Ken McPeak was, I remember, was supremely confident going into the Bluegrass and said, "quote They're going to have to bring a bear to beat him." And Chad Brown, you know, brought down a bear in Zandon mm-hmm. and and got yeah. him there at the finish and. Uh, you know, Smile Happy just didn't really, obviously didn't have a very good Kentucky Derby one on a super long layoff, but one last time out. And, you know, he's, he's a horse that has a lot of talent and ability. Here's my only concern, which is Ken McPeak switching off of Lasix is only winning at a 4% rate. That big speed figure you saw last time out on Lasix. So I'm a little worried about that. The inside rail doesn't thrill me either because I don't think he's got the speed to get up there on the lead and, and then he gets shuffled back a little bit. So a big time name, he's going to attract a lot of money, but he, he's probably a little bit of a pass for me. And what worries me a bit is when your career best figure is on an off track. Yeah. Another, just yeah. another, that's something that you worry about when horses are short prices. That's something that bothers you when you look at it and you go, okay, first start back. 
maybe they have the right to regress a little bit because that race was on March the 16th. We're only on April the 1st here too, right? Yeah, exactly. So they're wheeling back quickly. Quick return, best figure ever, came on an off track. Few reasons why you may just be able to look around elsewhere as we kind of continue through this field um you know from a a talking standpoint going to the outside hopper will have a big say in this race he's lightly raced and it's pretty tough to knock his last four yeah you know i mean he he won the great he broke his maiden then he wins the great three affirmed following that off a long layoff of six months he comes back he finishes second in the san pasquale and just gets tired late as you would expect and I thought he ran a really good race in the big cap going a mile and a quarter. He yeah. was hooked super wide. Uh, we can pull it up, but talk a little bit about Hopper. Yeah, I really like this horse a lot. I mean, he's got some versatility. He's going to flash speed. The outside post, he'll be able to cross and clear a lot so of not horses. not to interrupt, Matt, the horse, yeah. the, as you keep talking, we're going to look at the race. This was the San Anita Handicap last time out. He was the number eight in this race. So watch how wide he has to go early and just how how long it sort of takes him to work out, a, a tr- like work into that spot. Yeah, absolutely. And this was, you know, to some extent, he's taken a huge class drop. I mean, mm-hmm. these are outstanding horses that he ran against. A little boy funded. All prop. grade one company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, so this is a really strong trip. You see him here, you know, he's four wide, uh, you know, coming down the home stretch, uh, you know, the first time around. And you're right. He's not going to really get that sweet position of just being able to glide over on the inside rail and save all the ground. You know, he's hooked out in the three, four path and, you know, he's, he's, and this is a mile and a quarter. I mean, so yep. he's cutting back in distance. He's run against the best class of horses in this entire field. He's got the versatility to sit a little bit or and go to the lead. Like at the, at the top of the lane, he's got the lead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and, you know, he did not give in that much. I mean, he finished fourth by two and a half lengths that day, but he fought his way the entire time around. And I thought it was a really impressive effort from a hopper. So he's, he's a horse I'm absolutely going to be using in, in, in verticals and probably as a win candidate in this pit race. Completely agree. I mean, the three horses in front of him, I, I played there goes Harvard that day who I'm watching back. I'm, I was more impressed with his effort than I even remember because you just look <laughs> at it and, and you went, even for a horse like hopper, the horses in front of them, those are three nice horses that are just better. And if those horses yeah. get, decent trips then they're probably going to beat you going a mile and a quarter like that you know absolutely so i have no knocks on hopper i think that was a really nice effort and you know of the shorter price horses i definitely i think you know if him and smile happy both take a good amount of money i prefer hopper yeah of the shorter Uh, prices yeah i i feel like it's a much safer bet at a shorter price for him others in this race that are a little bit intriguing so how are we seeing the pace shape up right hopper is going to be on the lead Cotto River likes to put the pressure on. I I never really have been too high on him. He, to me, feels like one of those horses that when he gets a nice soft trip against like horses he's better than, mm-hmm. he can kind of beat up on them. Mm-hmm. I haven't really seen him kind of fight back when he's punched all that much. Yeah, he's a horse that, you know, obviously he's got good statistics going a mile. You know, he's three for five winning, going a mile, five for five in the money. He's a reliable horse in that regard. Uh, and... You know, he is stepping up. He was running an you know optional claimer last time out. And, you know, again, though, when you go back and look at his form in graded stakes races, it's not as great. You know, he he's, to your point, when he runs against a certain level of competition, he can rack up wins and he can do really well. And then when he does get pressed by kind of the upper echelon in this division, 
he usually doesn't have much of a response. And so the speed figures are also something where they're just kind of a tick below where mm-hmm. you think the winner is going to have to be in this particular race. And, and so, yeah, Connor River's a horse. I, I mean, I like him, but I don't like him as a win candidate in this spot, but, but it feels like a very safe horse to use in verticals. Mm-hmm. From a gambling standpoint, a horse who's a little intriguing to me here, Matt, is Silver Prospector. Oh, okay. um, from I, I think he'll be an okay price. So yeah. what I like about him, he's one of these horses who's a good horse to bet on because he doesn't usually take a whole lot of money in spots like this. And the reason is because he's not ultra consistent. And I don't mean that like in a negative way. I just mean like he just needs the sort of trip. He needs the right thing to happen for him to be able to get a win at a top level. But we know he can win big races. We know he can win big races at Oaklawn in particular. And just look back like the February 11th race. That's that's pretty close to what would win this race. Yeah, that I I mean, that right there was a good race against good company. This is a graded stakes winner here over this racetrack before. And I think his last start was a little bit sneaky. It was one of those where doesn't look like he has a whole ton of trouble initially at first glance on paper, but he's sort of, he's the one and uh, you won't miss him. You'll be able to see uh, a silver prospector here. He's also a horse who's good at the mile. So he hops at the start. Yep. Right away, he's a little bit farther back than he would like to be because he's kind of a tactical horse. He can kind of sit pretty close, you know, just a few lengths off. And then right away, he's already right here. You can see he's in tight. They got to grab a hold. Mm -hmm. Um, He was down inside. He's behind horses and he just doesn't seem very comfortable down there. And now he's at the mercy of just what goes on in front of him. And all of a sudden he's got to sort of sit back. He's got to pull up right here. He He loses another length of positioning. And it just, I think it's just a little sneaky when he's sort of buried down there. Um, his race a couple starts back was good, and I, I know he's uh, he's capable. So he he's a price horse I might be looking at playing in here. Anyone else in here on your radar or intriguing to you? Yeah, I'll say I think the number three horse hero status yep, is a little bit interesting to me. Um, for Robertino Diodoro with Christian Torres aboard, uh, obviously if you follow Oakland, those connections are just dynamite right now. Uh, Diodoro winning 25% of his mounts this meet and Torres is the leading rider at Oakland. And, you know, this horse took a step up in the Razorback for sure and didn't run particularly well, but that was, a, that was a tough spot. First time running at Oakland and, you know, coming from the West coast now has Think been about, in Oakland for a while. And it's a good group of horses right there. I mean, is. even, even Ginobili long range, toddy rated our superstar. Those are professional horses. Like yeah. for legit older horses, our buddy law professor last yeah. samurai came right back to win the Essex and he's earned big figures in back to back. And then West will power, had a monster race last weekend. Absolutely. It, it, it earned a 109 buyer speed figure in beating art collector who won the Pegasus prior to that. So no real shame in that race there, yeah. Matt, you know, and going and, back to the hopper for me, even early in his career, he wasn't far behind hopper. So he's always yeah. shown ability. Yeah. He's always shown ability. And I think, you know, he didn't really get off that well that day. And you know, if he gets a little bit closer to the lead, I think that's his game and he doesn't need the lead. He can sit off a little bit. He's three for four in the exact at a mile with two wins. Uh, you know, I, he's going to be more of a price. And so, so if you're looking for, uh, you know, especially I think it's something to always pay attention to. Like if the track is carrying speed, then hero status and hopper feel like a really nice exact pairing potentially, because they're going to be one, two, you'd assume early on. I can 
really, really expect that they're going to try to show a little bit more speed with him. Because if you look at his, his races, the past performances, which we will again in a second, mm-hmm. he, his best races are when he's like right on the lead. He yeah. has versatility. He doesn't yeah. need the lead. He can sit, right. but he, he is really good. I think he's, he's a fighter. Um, yeah. He's the eight in this race. Watch how much faster he is here than it looks like on paper. Um, when we were just looking at the past performances, mm-hmm. he's on top. Yep. I mean, he he's on top here. What he, he tries to get over and what happens? He just can't the two horses to his inside go. And it's, it quickly changes the way the whole race looks because Absolutely. now he shuffles back and like, he's quickly all of a sudden in like the fifth spot. Yep. Because um, he's hooked wide. And then you have the, uh, the several horses coming up on the inside and you're the right. Other now, two, all, yep. Four horses got inside of him right there. Two yep. on, the, on the first tier and two on the second tier. So he went from first to fifth. And yep. now all of a sudden, that's just not the trip he wants. Now he's back to seven because yep. two other horses push him out there. I just feel like win or lose, he's going to get more aggressive in this race. They're going to say, we don't want to sit three or four lengths off like that. It's probably better for us to be pretty close. So he's yeah. he's a little sneaky in here too. The the two that I thought were the value were the, the were hero status and silver prospector in this yep. race. And then I thought Hopper, I thought Hopper was the horse to beat for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all pretty much in alignment on this one. And, yep. uh, you know, we'll I, I, it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Could be a good year for smile happy, but in this particular race, I think with the big figure, like we said, short turnaround, big figure coming on the slop. Um, and he may even be a little bit better going longer too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, That's like, the thing is, is his running style would suggest he might run out of ground going a mile. Mm-hmm. So few different reasons to uh to possibly play against smile happy let's move to race number eight it's the next stakes race on the card it's the two hundred thousand dollar hot springs so this one matt is a race for a lot of the three-year-old horses that were just a cut below the qualifying or getting kentucky derby points there are five horses that tried to get kentucky derby points in their last start mm-hmm. that prepped somewhere and for whatever reason maybe it was not the, it was a little too much too soon, maybe a little too long. Maybe they didn't like the track. Whatever reason, they're taking a shot in a little softer spot, in a little shorter spot. This is a mile race for three-year-olds. I mean, powerful was in the Rebel last time. Ian Clover was favored in the Gotham. Gun Pilot was in the Rebel. You have Cactus who's stepping up, but Frost's depar- Frosted Departure comes out of the Rebel. Carmel Road comes out of the Gotham. So five of the seven from this group, we're all in graded stakes against slightly better three-year-olds. Now they end up here looking for a softer spot. How did you sort of start this race? Yeah, I, I think you gave a great synopsis of kind of who's moving up, who's moving down, sort of a thing. I, my eyes, just because I always say, if all else fails, bet on Gunrunner, uh, went to Gunpilot uh, mm-hmm. as a horse I really like. Obviously, you know, did not run particularly well in the Rebel but again, that was off track conditions going a mile on a 16th. Now we're cutting back to a mile where he's won twice at, or once I should They're say at, at Oakland park. And, and what I like is that he is versatile. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, he won, you know, basically so as you talk, he's the four in this race we're watching. Yeah. So keep going. And, yeah. I mean, but you know, prior to that rebel, he's, he's won some, you know, decent races and run up against, you know, nice horses that we're actually going to see in the Arkansas Derby, like in two Eagles river. And, bourbon bash and so he's run up against some of these horses and gotten the better of them i just think he's versatile enough where he can make his own trip if he sits first or second he can do that if he sits third or fourth he can do that uh i like that fact he obviously keeps ricardo aboard and 
this was a horse that was ascending and going the right direction really up until that rebel. So I, I think he's going to be a tough horse to get around in the spot. Yeah. You know, he hops at the start a little bit, so he's farther back than he'd ever been in his prior three races because he just had a, like a slowish start, but he, re- and he's on the slop for the first time. So maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't love the slop plus a slowish start, but he recovers fine. And he settled down on the inside pretty well. He's about five lengths off or so. He's in the sixth spot. So he's the number four here. Now he's going to start moving nicely into contention. But watch, he's right behind the one verifying. And then verifying has to tap on the brakes. And so does Gunpilot. And there's just no room down there. Like right here, he's just got nowhere to go. Uh, he can't. He, where's he supposed to go? Gun uh, verifying's waiting, and gun pilot's waiting, and they're just both waiting down there. And by the time gun pilot, look, he gets shuffled back even more, even more, even more. By the time there's any room down there, he just doesn't have any more run left. Yeah, he's flat. Like he, he, right here, he's still got no room, no room, no room. Yeah. He's still waiting down there. He's still waiting right here. A spot closes again in front of him, and it just wraps up. Yeah, I, I, it was, I thought it was a pretty sneaky kind of not great effort, uh, not great trip from for him either too. Like one that you can make a legit excuse for him there. So I, I think he's the starting point in this race, right? Gun pilot. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to let Carmel road beat me. I think. Yep. Same here. I'm like looking at him and his form overall. He has the big maiden win last year, but his best race since then was in the low South futurity, which was a race that had five horses practical move was in there. So it's looked a little bit better now, but Arabian lion was the heavy oh, yeah. favorite that day. And he was basically eased in that race. It, yeah. It's so it's hard for me to get a real gauge for how good Carmel road ran finishing second in what was basically a four horse field and not really showing at the, like he didn't show any fight or anything. He wasn't like he was close in that race. They went right by him there. So, yeah. And I, I think the other thing to keep in mind you know, he's now switched barns twice. He was in the Baffert's barn, went to Yakteen, now is back with Baffert. He's done a lot of traveling too. I mean, because, you know, he went out to Aqueduct for that Gotham and then, you know, obviously came back to Santa Anita to continue to work out and now is back in Arkansas. So, I mean, that's a lot on a horse uh, to deal with. And yeah, I'm going to let him beat me for sure. And uh, I'm going to take a pass on, on him. I don't see him as particularly good value. I am a little bit intrigued by Cactus. Um, you know, yeah. a horse that is uh, stepping up in class, certainly. Uh, now, the trainer is 0 for 5 when switching off of Lasix, which is a concern for sure. But uh, what I like is, yes, this horse is stretching out on, you know, from sprinting to routing. But his running lines would suggest that he's not a needly type of horse. He actually likes coming from behind. So stretching out shouldn't be that much of an issue. His damn Gypsy Judy has one going two turns at Laurel before. Uh, so, you know, twirling candy is perfectly fine in terms of distance pedigree as well. So you assume he can handle the two turns a little bit. I, I don't know. He, he might. He's probably going to be a pretty big price, but he's a horse I, I might include in some vertical exotics. Now... We uh, I got have to at least talk about uh, Ian Clover, who yes. was very impressive totally in his first two. He was actually favored in the Gotham last time out, and there in watching the race, there were huh. plenty of reasons to to think to see why he got a little tired and why he stopped. First off, he's the number thirteen in here, so he's way out wide. He has a really tough post. In here, you can see he's a little slow. He gets bumped at the start, but he's still able to recover and he's still pretty close up. But in being close up, he's going to be in between horses, 
which isn't always the easiest spot. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, this was his first start going long. This was his first start on an off racetrack. He was also shipping to New York. So there was a lot kind of against him. They tried to take him back out of that spot there, Matt. See, because yeah. he didn't like being in between horses, but he couldn't really get all the way out of there and stay in the clear. Cause as soon as he backed up, then there were sort of horses that kind of loomed up to his outside a little bit. So mm-hmm. he was always sort of in between horses, but I thought he kept traveling. Well, still dealing with all this traffic, still getting shuffled a little bit. Then he was able to tip to the outside. And right here, once he tips out, he's you no, know, he's traveling really well. Keep in mind, there's a loose horse up front. Yep. So this is another thing that these horses are dealing with, which isn't easy, but right here, I mean, he looms up ominously like he's going to win this race by four or five and i think just a combination of the first time going long maybe the the footing and maybe just getting shuffled back and losing a little bit right about here he gets asked for run and then he just stops yeah um but this was his first time like i it didn't bother me like he and it looks a little bit worse too because he's in second like the whole stretch and then two horses pass him late for third and fourth so right. he was probably like the second best horse in this race. And these two just got him late. Yeah. He seems like he's got some ability. I agree. I, that was a bizarre race because of the loose horse. And because the loose horse also like took the inside path in the rail. And so all those horses that were on the lead, it wasn't like, you know, the loose horse, a lot of times the loose horse is so far wide that it's really not a factor like it had to have been a determining factor for a lot of these jockeys. Like, how are they moving these horses? How are they, when are they asking to go? Things like that. So it was, I, I agree with you. I thought it was a, a troubled trip in a lot of ways. And just, that was a hot pace too up front. I mean, they were going 45 and change and 111 and change uh, for the opening uh, half and three quarters. Uh, I, you know, I think this is a really nice horse as well. I should be able to, I think a mile is probably the max distance, but I, you know, and Brad Cox, we trust to some extent. I mean, mm-hmm. he's going to put this horse in the right spot. And uh, uh, I, I I definitely like Ian Clover to come back off of a, like I said, I think a pretty troubled trip here. Yep. Um, those are the two. I think that we both seem pretty uh, pretty confident on uh, running big ones in here. Yeah. Gun pilot Ian Clover, okay with uh, with letting Carmel Road beat me. And just, you know, you mentioned Cactus as a fun price. Frosted Departure seems like his best races are sprinting. Yeah. He just seems like he might be wanting to go a little bit shorter. That's a, a look at race number eight at Oaklawn Park. Two more graded stakes races on the card to discuss, and both of these have qualifying points. First up, it's the 10th race. It's the Fantasy, a grade three, four fillies for three-year-olds. And how about this for us handicappers? What makes this a puzzle? You have seven of the fillies in this race that exit the Honeybee, which was a race in the slop. Yep. So not only is it difficult when you have a, a lot of horses that exit the same race, because then, you know, you have to look at different trouble trips or what kind of trips they got. But I mean, when they run in the slop, you can probably toss that race for a lot of them that don't run well. So uh, from a, yeah. a handicapping standpoint, the horse to just talk about uh, at the beginning is a horse who does love the off <laughs> yes. track yes, and she does, does love the wet because <laughs> she is named wet paint. And all three of her victories have been on a wet track. Now, she did run well on the synthetic. She didn't really fire on the turf, but we've never seen her on a fast dirt track. Um, And that's a little interesting for a horse like Wet Paint, who will probably be favored in here. And her three wins have visually been very impressive. She's run right by 
What's hard about that, though, when you're running on a sloppy track or on a wet track, most of the time, half of the field doesn't like it and backs up. So you you see bigger margins like that, uh, yeah. like wider margins of victory. What do we do with wet paint in here, Maddie? So I'm going to fade wet paint in this spot. Me too. Uh, I'm going to try to beat this favorite. Uh, I, I really like her. I mean, she does have like a visually impressive style. I actually kind of joke with people. She's a more successful version of Red Route 1 uh, <laughs> because she actually gets home and she wins. Yeah, she's won. She doesn't just like hit the board. And uh, But that's a dicey running style in general to be relying upon. We just saw that this past weekend at the Louisiana Derby with Instant Coffee. You know, when you are a little bit pace dependent, when you're coming from the back, a lot of things have to go right for you to get home. And the fact she's never been on a dry, fast track, I think is a huge question mark. And I'm willing to try to beat her in this spot with all those factors into consideration. And the other thing is, if you look at her speed figure numbers, they aren't really that much better than a lot of these other horses in the field. So it's not as if she's, uh, you know, towering over these other horses in terms of speed figures, uh, it's just, you know, she's been able agree. to pull off three great victories, but I'll try to beat her here and get a little bit more of a price. Totally agree. Now we're trying to beat her. Who are you looking at as playable I, in here? Yeah. I'm looking at the inside. She's looking at lucky. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like, I like this the horse three inside yeah. horses, to be honest. I think they're all sort of playable. If you're trying to beat the favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. I have two of those three written in my notes as well. I, and I like grand love too. Uh, but She's looking at Lucky. I, I really like a lot, and I'll say she lost to a horse last time out, Punchbold, who I think might be really, really good. Yep. Uh, who we're probably we're going to see up at the Ashland actually uh, in a couple yep. of weeks at Keeneland. Uh, so I don't think there's any disrespect there. She's run against Positano Sunset, who's a nice horse as well in the past. I just I, I like her running style a lot. She's got the speed to escape the rail, but she doesn't need the lead, and. I like the fact she's going to probably, you know, carve out a pretty good trip for uh, Matt Shire doesn't run many horses, but you know, listen, he's winning a 24% clip there. You got Christian Torres, who I mentioned earlier on the ride. I know this horse can handle the distance and I just really like her in this spot. I think she's definitely playable and I think is going to be in pretty good form. And, you know, that maiden special weight victory is actually a faster buyer speed figure than anything wet paints ever done. Yep. And she is the three in this race that we're watching right here. She has a, a nice start and then she kind of settles inside fourth. She's able to angle off to the two path, just sort of watching her too. I like that. She's pretty handy. Even mm -hmm. like right there, they tip her to the outside. Some horses don't do that. Horses don't always respond that instantly. They moved her to the two path. She's in a nice spot there, but she does get caught in between horses. She's in the second flight. And I mean, you watch this race, like you said, she's, She's good. This is like a winning effort. Yeah. She just runs into a horse who's better and who earned an 89 buyer speed figure and winning and is two for two. Uh, she's the, the, so the three in here, she looms up to the outside and right here, you know, she, she looks like she's going to, you know, really put a little pressure. And this is just a nice animal who turns her away and yeah. kicks on. Like there, there's no shame in this effort. She's well clear. Of the rest in here, I think she's four plus lengths clear of the third yeah. place finisher. She again should save ground nicely, and uh, I think I think it's a really nice spot for her. Matt, she's looking yeah. lucky. is is definitely going to be on on my exotics and my late tickets here. Yeah, and uh, I'm interested in hearing you talk a little bit about Grand Love if you like yep. that horse because I, I, that that's an interesting one for me as well. Yep, if you look at Grand Love's form overall, she was a really fast horse early in her career. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> very fast wins at Saratoga. And then when they stretch her out, we didn't know really what to think of her. Cause in her first start going long in the Pocahontas, she just sort of stops. And then her, her next start is in the breeders cup. So sometimes it's tough to gauge because you're facing the toughest horses there in, in, in her class. So you and I are always, especially the last couple of years talking about how we're usually playing against the horse, their first start back mm-hmm. off their, off the breeders cup race, because that's the race that they're sort of peaked for their trainers crank. They, they get them all set up for, and then they usually take off time after. So then you got to sort of start back over, you know, Usually, I don't want necessarily a horse starting right back over. That's a short price. But let's look at Grand Love's race on February the 25th. She was the number three. And this is in that honeybee that seven of these common rivals exit. What I liked about her, she has a good start to the inside, but they take her back a little bit. She sits just behind the leaders, which we hadn't seen her do at all in her first few starts. And so now she's in third, just behind. And she she's able to sit pretty nicely. Like they get her to relax well yeah. right here, which I li- I mean I like to see that maturity. It looks like she's grown up a little bit from two to three, and maybe not quite as headstrong as she was there. And I thought she sat pretty well throughout. She basically the race comes down to her not being able to get by the five condensation. Like I think she always I think she just is traveling well in this race. Here she comes, yeah. three wide. Uh, looming up at the top of the lane. She's just, I think because this was a little different to her, like she doesn't have that quick, quick turn of foot right here, right? right? She's right. not like going to blow right by them. But yeah. at, now I feel like you can place her a little bit better. It looks like she's going to go by the five and then watch the five come out. Yeah, five her. comes out. Yeah, And I, I was I was surprised they didn't take, take the five down, honestly, because that horse might have cost this one a placing coming out there. Wet paint was better. And... You know, that's the first start in a few months for Grand Love. If she's just a little bit sharper, that was also her, you know, first start on the slop too. Like I have every right to believe she can take a nice step forward here. Second start at three. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the question with Asmussen and and Tyler Gaffleone on Grand Love is going to be, what do you do? Because condensation, the five in that particular race is, is back in this race. Right back here again. And so do you sit off of condensation again? Do you try to get ahead? Do you try to sit off of, you know, do you try to get that two path and basically sit off the hind quarter of the horse? Like, what do you, what do you try to do? So I think tactically there's some interesting things here, but I agree with you. I think second back from that layoff, you would assume you're going to see the best version of Grand Love. And you saw a pretty darn good version of her last time out. Um, anyone else in here fun to mention? This horse is a little intriguing to me, Royal Spa. Um, yeah. You know, the debut is good. First time out winner at Churchill, going six and a half. Then in the second start, runs in a graded stakes race, going a mile and an eighth in start number two. Huge not step. easy. Not yeah. easy. And the race came up sloppy. Yep. So you're going from six and a half to a mile and an eighth. It's a lot to ask of that horse second time out. And then the horse goes to the bench for a while. Shows back up in the first start at three and was visually extremely impressive. And and at least now when this horse, Royal Spa, who's the number one in this race that we're watching right now, Matt, when she stretches back out again, at least she has the foundation of a mile and an eighth race and three other races overall. Right. She's just got a little bit more foundation. She's older now. So it's not asking quite as much as it was asking a horse in their second career start at two 
at Aqueduct in the slop going a mile and an eighth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that was that Demoiselle is asking a lot for any Philly at that point, particularly one that's only had one career race to this point. You're running against Julia Shining, a firm lady gambling girl. Yeah, these are really good horses. Um, and, and you only lose by four and three quarters of a length. I mean, you don't get blown out. And so, you know, I think horse can absolutely handle the distance. I like your point about the foundation. The works have looked very solid. Uh, Rudy Brissett's winning 37% of his entries at Oaklawn this meet. You get uh, Ricardo Santana Jr. aboard. Those two have teamed up to win 47% of their mounts at Oaklawn Park. So, you know, with a with a $4.47 ROI, which is you and I joke a lot around a lot, how would you like if I gave you $2 and you gave me back $4.47? Every day of the week and twice on Sunday, <laughs> Maddie. <laughs> Every day and twice. And this is just a handy win. Royal Spa got some room down in the rail, tipped to the inside. Again, if you're looking to beat wet paint in this race, which Matt and I both are, a horse whose best races have all been on a wet track and is a horse who doesn't have a whole lot of early speed, so who does need some things to go her way up front and needs a little help, there's a few of them for you from the inside. You got She's Looking Lucky, Grand Love, who I think will be uh, able to be even sharper, second start back as a three-year-old, to the outside. Um, Royal Spas, when I mentioned, and heck, like Toehead isn't bad either. Toehead just yeah. sort of got shuffled a little farther back behind Grand Love down on the inside. It wasn't like a bad effort. They're all in that honeybee, and it just wasn't the best of, of like starts for Toehead. And wasn't able to make up a whole lot of ground down there, but being in the right spot, this is a Philly that could do it. So yeah, I think the, our, our best analysis of this race and our, our approach would just be, it, it may be a little more wide open than, than the betting board would suggest with wet paint. Yeah. Cause I, I think this horse is going to get a little more support than like the figures may, may say like how truly dominant she is over this field. Yeah, I agree. And the fact that she's gotten all these wins at Oaklawn, I think she also becomes like a crowd favorite a little bit as well. It's not like she's a good horse that's shipping in. I think a lot of local money is probably going to go toward her. And, you know, she's, she's a horse that she's got that fantastic running style that people love, you know, it's that mind that bird it's that red route. One is that kind of deep closer running style that everybody loves until they don't love it anymore and until they don't get home. So uh, I I just think she's too dicey of a price at at a, at a really low price in all likelihood in this race. I'll, I'll try to beat her every day. We'll see which of these Phillies show up in the Kentucky Oaks. But we head to the main event for Saturday, race number 12. It's the grade one Arkansas Derby with Kentucky Derby points on the line. Maddie, some of the headliners in this race will have reincarnate who had legitimate trouble in the, in his last prep in the rebel last time out top of the like, Early part of the stretch, he got sawed off. We'll pull up the race and show that a little bit. You have Red Route One, who you've talked about a few times. It seems like every year there's an Oakland horse just like this that will come <laughs> running late and uh, and run like second or third in like all of the Oakland preps along the way. Yep. And Red Route One is an honest horse, and you know what he's gonna go- he's going to do. He's going to drop back and he's going to make one late run. He's going to come a running. Uh, Rocket Can is a horse who was your runner-up in the Fountain of Youth. And you know what? I thought that was a, a pretty good effort. He took a nice step forward there uh, and finished second behind Forte, who we're talking about as being right now the head and shoulders favorite. Angel of Empire is the Risen Star winner, so he'll come over here. And it's Brad Cox has so many horses that yeah. whenever he <laughs> plays, like he's playing this like 
you know, the, like this, the dice here, like, where do I want to go? He, it, yeah. with, with all these horses, you're always like, okay, I guess he's going here with this horse. They must be live. Okay. Cause you would have figured angel of empire would have just stayed and run again in the Louisiana Derby after winning the local prep, but no, he wanted to come yeah. over here and they, yeah. Yeah, he moves up there. Some horses that were running in the Rebel are moving up to Keeneland, New York, and Keeneland. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of this musical chairs uh, thought here. And uh, it's interesting. I think, you know, you identified kind of the four favorites from the morning line standpoint. And I do think, uh, so my top pick in this one is Rocket Can. I really like this horse Me a too, lot. actually. Yeah. Uh, oh, is it really? Okay, yeah. that's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think this horse just you said it It turned in such a professional effort against Forte, who I think is heads and shoulders above the rest of this crop in a lot of ways. And a lot of people made a point that the Holy bull was kind of slow, but that was coming back from a three month layoff for, uh, for rocket can Mm -hmm. comes back, wins that race, then comes out and increases his buyer speed figure by almost 10 points. Next time out. That was the key for me too. the progression, right? Exactly. In I don't even want to look at the first two races in his career because those were sprints. But yeah. but even if we do, just like look who he got beat by. Right. Disarm and an instant coffee. And Arthur's ride was in there, who's also a nice horse. Like yep. those are nice horses, but I'm not even using those from a a gauge standpoint. For for our talking point here, let's use the races from October 30th through March 4th, the last four races, the four races where he's gone long. His speed figures increased massively. He broke his maiden. Then in his second start um, going long, he increased his speed figure. He lost to confidence game who has since come back and won the rebel. So he lost to a nice horse. As you mentioned, he was off from November to February. So he's off for a while. Once he shows back up, he does not regress. And he actually won with not the greatest of trips. He was super wide, right? Higher Holy bull. It wasn't like, a get stuck behind shuffled back trip, but it was a trip that you usually get short winning, right? You usually get tired with that trip being hung way out wide there, but he did not. And so I, I wasn't like in, in the fountain of youth. I didn't think he had the speed figures sort of to keep up with Forte. And I didn't really like him or play him much in that race, but now he did progress. And now when you're just sort of looking at his pattern, why can't he take one more small step forward like we've seen him do in progressive races now? Yeah, I agree. And I think he's he's going to get the right trip, too. I think he's going to sit. I mean, I think there's every reason to expect that two Eagles River and Harlow Cap, who are clo- uh, further on the inside, are going to go out to the early lead. Yep. Rocket Can should be sitting kind of third, fourth with Reincarnate. He's going to have every chance to... He's going to have the leaders in his sights turning for home and he's got every chance to do it. I like the fact that, you know, I think they, when we went back and looked at that Holy bull, I mean, he traveled so much more ground than every other horse in that race yep. because he was so wide. So I doing the distance isn't a problem. He'll be able to handle that. I'm interested in this race because I mentioned two Eagles river and Harlow cap. They're going to be in the lead, yep. but neither of them necessarily is a need to lead no. or all else fails they're they're the types of horses that I, I don't think they're going to get into a speed duel necessarily. We're not going to see what we saw in the Sunland Derby uh, this last <laughs> Sunday, actually. So I don't think the pace is going to be crazy. I think it's going to be honest, but I don't think it's going to be too hot of a pace. And therefore, I'm worried about horses like Angel of Empire and Red Route One who need pace to run into. And so I'm looking, if I'm Me trying too. to pick a winner from this race, I want somebody who's going to be in the top 
four or five horses at most. Yeah. And, and then, and then it's going to make a move from there. Yeah. And we've seen rocket can have to deal with less than optimum trips too, right? Like he can deal with those wideish sort of trips, Dangerous but get forward. Hey Pete, how we doing? <laughs> uh, here's rocket cans last race. Also, he was the eight. This was in the fountain of youth and you'll see some of these horses come back uh, this weekend. They'll be running in the Florida Derby. So, um, I mean, this is a good effort again from rocket can he's, just not as good as Forte, unfortunately. But even right here, see what happened. He tried to get over to the inside. And did you see how he got forced out by Legacy Isle? Um, yeah. Like he tried to get it over from the outside. And instead, he ends up three wide and in between horses, which isn't the greatest of trips. But he wins the battle of all the speed horses that are forwardly placed. The only horse he's not able to hold off here late is Forte. This was a nice step forward for Rocket Can, who's you know, top of the lane. He's right here. He's challenging. And we see rocket can still finish. Well, yeah, it's a good yeah. spot for him. I mean, I, I, think I, I think so too. I mean, it's, and you're getting a little bit of a better price because of reincarnate five to two on the morning line, red route one, three to one on the morning line, rocket can's going to be four to one on the morning line. I, you know, I like those odds a little bit more yep. reincarnate. I think is a, if somebody tries to make an argument for that horse, I have no problem with it because he had legitimate issues in that rebel for sure. He, he had a bad start at the beginning yeah. and then you're right. Got like mugged coming down the stretch practically. So, I mean, he absolutely had excuses and should take a step forward and improve. So the two horses in this race to really keep an eye on are the three and the six, uh, those that's reincarnate and red route one. So reincarnate, we see he already misses the break. And remember prior to this, he was speed. He was a speed horse. He was going to be on the lead or forwardly placed. So now all of a sudden, way way different tactics for him something that he's not dealt with he's towards the back in a sloppy racetrack he's dealing with all of that and then we know our buddy red route one where he's going to be way back here <laughs> 19 like lengths back yeah. way back here and then oh verifying every time i watch this race it, just, uh, it gets it gets frustrating a little bit because he has space here but then he sort of gets trapped again you know and, and he just doesn't really get a chance we'll see him show up yeah. soon Watch the three and the six here now, though. They they come running. Here comes the three from the back of the pack, and the six is trying to look for a little bit of room right here and gets just sawed off in between. So yeah. you see Red Route run, who's able to angle up in here and get second nicely. The six is reincarnate, who finishes a troubled third. These two will be right back here, and it's a race that's set up pretty well for them on the off track last time. And I just agree with you, Matt. I just don't know on paper if it's going to have that much or that many horses dead set on getting to the lead in here. Yeah. I mean, you, it, when you were showing that replay, I mean, you saw the fractions of that race. I mean, they were, they were going 22 and 46 and one. I mean, I don't see that happening. I see much more of a 24, 47 and change 48 and change, you know, closer yep. to like a 112 I, you know that that's not going to benefit red route one at all and i'm i have the same concerns about angel of empire uh and because angel of empire is a very similar running style coming from the far back and finishing strong so i yeah i'm gonna even though that um you know obviously two fills comes out of that risen star that angel of empire won we saw him win the jeff ruby stakes so there was good, some good horses in that field for sure uh, you do see it. it's interesting, you know, Luis Saez hops off Angel of Empire, uh, Flavian Pratt now aboard that horse for the first time ever. 
Uh, that horse has had now five different jockeys the last five times out. So, you know, that that's kind of, I think, an interesting dynamic to take care of as well. But um, I, I'll be honest, another horse that I'm interested in who you'll get a bigger price on, I actually think is Harlow Cap. I'm kind of interested in Harlow Cap because I think that, you know, there was a lot going on that that Risen Star was a very fast pace as well. He got sucked up into that lead with yes. confidence game and some of those other horses up front and actually did not finish that terribly uh, compared to what everybody else was doing, where everybody else was just like dropping anchor somewhere in, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Bay of uh, New Orleans and, yeah. and just saying like, forget about it. I mean, he at least kept on. He finished sixth out of that race out of 14. And, uh, you know, I just think, you know, more moderate paced race, he's gonna, I think, have more of a shot. Well, just... We're looking at the chart right here, and this is what is awesome. Like the features of DRF is that you know, like we one click, we're showing the replays, and we can one click to the chart. So as you were pointing out, look at Harlow Cap and look at the the running line for Harlow Cap. Look at all of the horses that were in front of him and where they came yep. from in the race: eleventh, tenth, seventh, twelfth, and ninth. Look <laughs> at all of the other horses that were close to Harlow Cap, showing some speed and where they finished. Victory Formation. Shaq Diesel, Private Creed, and Determinedly. All of them well behind Harlow Cap. So just from that pure one little angle, he ran a good race. Like he, yeah. he held on when nobody else did, and he finished better than all of the other horses who were involved. Anyone in front of him was seventh and worse in that race, yeah. and he was sitting second doing the dirty work. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think he's not going to have to do dirty work in this race. And uh, I, I think, you know, I, I just like this horse. It's also, you know, that was, we talked about transitions from Barnes before, you know, he got transitioned to Asmussen's barn, like right before that race from Baffert. Now he's second time in this barn with Asmussen. Steve's had some time, had his hands on him, yep. worked him out a little bit, had an opportunity to get to understand the horse a little bit better. I like that Ricardo's actually aboard him. Uh, because I know what Ricardo is going to do with this horse, which is going to get him up front, going to keep him out of trouble. And I just, I think Harlow cap at a big price on the morning line, 15 to one might not be the worst of all options to include on a vertical, because even if he doesn't win, even if you think maybe rocket can gets there, I don't think he's going to give up. And I think he's going to hang on and, and continue to run well, uh, to hit the board. And you were talking about the uh, the way the pace shapes up. You were mentioning the horse right next door to Eagles river, and he's just tough to knock overall. He is, right. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't done a whole lot wrong, Victory formation. He came back to work recently. He's a, he's a nice horse. Who's like capable of big races. He was three for three before he just didn't really fire in the risen star. Didn't like really coming off the pace. Maybe didn't love the tracks combination of things, but he missed the work, but I think he's come back in, uh, and recently worked. And then, you know, the race came back live that race behind victory formation. His other form is very, very strong. He's right behind frosted departure. He's behind verifying, and then he comes back and wins last time out. Gun pilot, we just saw in the earlier race. Like, it's not overall bad form. He doesn't really throw in a clunker. And as you said, he has speed. If the race hasn't have anyone else go to the lead, yeah, sure, he'll be fine going. But if two or three go, he has no problem just carving out a spot right behind him. Yeah, absolutely. And the horse he beat last time out, Disarm, just finished second in the Louisiana Derby. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, he's, I, I think, a very solid horse. I like the two front runners a lot. It, it's, I, I actually like the four horses that should be kind of the top four. I like, uh, yeah. in terms of like where they're going to be running, I like Harlow Cap, Two Eagles River, Rocket Cannon, Reincarnate, because uh, I'd imagine they're going to be sitting in the top four. 
if this race plays out and if everybody breaks well the way that they should. There's a, a look at the Arkansas Derby grade one event, Kentucky Derby points on the line. Always uh, very lucky to have my good friend, Matt DeSantis joining me. Uh, if you don't hang out with us on Friday mornings, come and do so sometime. I don't think we're going to do one this week just because you, you and Barry are going to uh floor. Uh, you and Barry are going out to Florida. So maybe we'll do some like individual videos and stuff. And next week we'll definitely get back into it with, uh, with Santa Anita Derby and with Keeneland opening up. And we always go Friday morning, 10 o'clock AM Eastern time for this weekend in stable duel. Just like what Matt and I were doing right here. We go through, um, our best bets, but on that show, why it's a little bit unique and different. We only give out horses that are five to one and above for our weekend best bet. So we are living in the no chalk zone. That's every Friday morning, 10 o'clock AM Eastern time on Twitter. If you follow me, if you follow stable duel or at stable duel, that'll stream live right there on social media. But Matt, before I let you go, yeah, I want to give you a chance to plug all your stuff too. But first, yeah, it's WrestleMania week. <laughs> Coming up. Indeed it is. And I know you are a wrestling fan. Your dad was involved in pro wrestling. We've talked yeah. about it. I'm a huge wrestling fan, cover wrestling. I'm actually going to WrestleMania night one oh, this amazing. year. The first time I'm ever getting to go to a WrestleMania, it's here at SoFi. So amazing. I'm going to night one with a couple of buddies. We, we've had tickets for a while. I'm Love super it. pumped, super excited. Um, wanted to ask you through all the years, when you think about WrestleManias, maybe yeah. some mat, maybe a match or two or event or two, what would yeah. be something that came to your mind? What are a, a one or two or a couple of things that come to mind when you think about WrestleMania, you know, all through the years? Yeah, I think I, I think a lot of thoughts obviously flung into my head. And one of them that I'll look up on YouTube every once in a while, just because it's awesome is Shawn Michaels entrance at WrestleMania 12. When he comes oh. down from the top of Wembley arena and Vince McMahon is still doing the play-by-play -play and is just going bonkers. Nuts. Uh, over oh, yeah. It and it's just the best. Uh, and I just love everything about that. You understand why Vince loves Sean so much because he is the consummate showman. And and then he put on a hell of a match with Bret Hart as well yeah. in that. In that he, so that the entrance, you know, maybe overshadows uh, it. But, you know, listen, he and Undertaker do a bunch of great matches. Michael which, you know, it's so funny. As we are recording this right yeah. now, because what I I'm the nerd, so whenever there's like a show coming up, Royal Rumble, I'll the like the week leading up, I'll throw on all the old Royal Rumbles as my background noise while I'm doing work and handicapping races and stuff. So right now, yeah. I'm doing that with the WrestleManias, and I've got Shawn Michaels and Taker on uh, pause off to the yeah. side right now um when they did the good versus evil the yeah the light versus the darkness yep i've got that off to the side but, on pause but, right this second but i will say there are there are two matches i'll just uh, shout out very quickly one is ricky steamboat versus macho man randy savage in wrestlemania three that match changed professional wrestling in that it was the first time matches were highly scripted in the way that they walked through every single move. And it was so crisp and so clean and they weren't calling it in the ring. And they were, it was just so precise and it was an amazing match. And it holds up to this day as an amazing match. Chris Jericho still to this day, or he talks about how him and his friends when they were young, they would mimic it move by move. Yeah. And then they would take turns and they would switch. And then one of them would be one of them would be Randy Savage and one would be Steamboat. And then they would learn in the whole thing and then they would switch roles. They just would do over and over again. And and then the other match I'll shout out is 
one that I appreciate from a standpoint of, you know, you mentioned my dad, who was a promoter and owner of Pennsylvania Championship Wrestling, and I was the ring announcer for five years. And the Bret Hart, Austin, my, uh, uh, Steve Austin match in WrestleMania oh, 13, where they pull off the double switch of Hart goes from a baby face to a heel and Austin goes from heel to a baby face. That is damn near impossible to do. And the fact that they managed to do it in one match is one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. And to watch the way they are able to manipulate the audience is a wrestling at its absolute best as a showman art form, in my opinion. Matt, there's a reason why you and I are good buddies. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my personal favorite of all two. Because I'm a as a Bret Hart guy, I'm a Bret Hart guy. But that not only was the match like in a vacuum, awesome. Like if yeah. you're just randomly showing matches to your friends and you're like, oh, watch this. This is so cool. This is a great match. You're going to be entertained for 15, 20 minutes. But what it did and what it set off, um, it it basically created stone cold like as the good guy like you're saying he was the bad ass austin 316 before but yeah. this made him this took him to the next level it really did and following that the next year stone cold would win the title in 98 and he would have like a three or four year period bigger than anyone um you know yeah. hogan and flair and and there are stars who have had longer periods but there was nothing like that that short few years of uh austin 316 and I'm glad you mentioned uh, a couple of those, man. Those oh, yeah. are some of the all-time favorites, and had to pick your brain a little bit on this with the uh, with WrestleMania Love coming it. up. So one of these times, we'll have to uh, let you pick an old show that we go oh, and, reca yeah. and recap. You can join for the old wrestling rewatch. I'd have a lot of fun yeah. with that and uh, in doing so. So Matt, tell everybody, man, if 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 you have another hour, all the stuff that you <laughs> that you're going to be doing this week, because I know you are you were. Just well, all the I'll, time and, and uh, tell us where you're going and everything coming up this week. Yeah. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter at the handle at failed to menace, you'll be able to catch a catch everything there. Uh, we have early looks at the Arkansas Derby, Florida Derby. I got an o top 10 Oaks contenders video that's coming later today uh, or Wednesday, I should say. And what I'll also say is if you go to my Twitter, you will see that I'm actually announcing a second annual 20 for 20 campaign leading up to the Kentucky Derby in the 20 days leading up to the Kentucky Derby. I'll be giving $20 to 20 different off track thoroughbred foundations in honor of the 20 horses in the starting gate. Really encourage you to get involved. If you're listening, if you can afford to give $20 great, if you can only afford to give five, that's okay too. Uh, and maybe you can just afford to follow them and learn more about them. And that would be awesome as well. So uh, always want to try to give back at this time of year when we're moving towards the Kentucky Derby, but Always have a ton of content, and Gino, it's always great talking to you. Man, that was a really incredible promotion that you did last year. I'm glad that you're doing it again this year. I learned a lot about some of those charities, and uh, there are a couple that we're going to be uh, hopefully putting some money towards in a, as soon as this NCAA tournament is over uh, <laughs> with a, a with a uh, contest that we had too. So thank you, buddy, for everything, and uh, we'll be following along with a lot of your great work coming up this week. And uh, I hope you have a blast. I am so jealous of you and Barry going to be over there <laughs> this week. So have have at least one one drink for me in my honor, the two of you together. Oh, we'll, ha we'll have more than one, my friend. Just, we'll have more than one. One. <laughs> one with my name on it that no, you put Gino on. So uh, I feel like I'm at least there hanging out with my buddies. Uh, Absolutely. Look forward to, uh, to hearing how your week was. And then next week, we'll catch back up on this week in Stable Duel. Folks, thanks so much for hanging out with us. If you're just watching on social media, thank you a ton. If you're listening on the podcast, we have a lot more still to come. So 
don't go anywhere. Big thank you to Matt for helping us out there, talking about Oakland Park for Saturday. Now, before we get into The Mandalorian with Tim Kelly, we want to let you know about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Cindy Carava, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. She can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to vendors if you're just looking for home improvement. Maybe you just want to know how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. She knows everything going on in the market. She will be honest with you. She'll let you know what's the right move to make. That's what she wants to do. She wants to help make life easier for you. She wants to check all those boxes so that way you don't have to worry about stressful things that aren't even on your radar. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. Full service realtor, Cindy Carava. Let's move on into The Mandalorian. Episodes 3 and 4, Season 3, we are already halfway home. Tim Kelly joins me to deep dive everything in Season uh, 3, Episode four, uh, episode 3 and 4. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. It's time to talk The Mandalorian with Tim Kelly. We're already halfway home in The Mandalorian Season 3. We have Episodes 3 and 4 to talk about with Tim Kelly. And I I'm, I'm, wasn't planning on doing these breakdowns like two episodes at a time it was just the way that the schedule worked out but i'm sort of glad we did tim because in these groups of two i feel like we have a little bit more to talk about and it was interesting because we had the longest episode of the mandalorian ever followed by the shortest episode of the mandalorian ever uh back to back so um not necessarily two really long ones to discuss but what we did see is them in this show now Leaning into something that they did in the book of Boba Fett in episode three titled The Convert, we take a major detour from some of our major characters. We go back and reconnect with Dr. Pershing. We meet um, a former um, a former officer of Moff Gideon named Elliot Kane, and we spend a whole bunch of time on Coruscant with them, which was not something we've really done in The Mandalorian yet. We saw this happen in the book of mm-hmm. Boba Fett. So this the third episode was a little bit – divisive in i know some people don't like that method of storytelling like the jumping back and forth like that how did you overall feel kind of about episode three and and these two that we're looking at well i really liked them both i have issues with both of them uh but overall uh i i found them to be very entertaining drove drove the story forward uh and this first one that we're going to talk about episode three uh i was kind of uh shocked that uh we were watching an episode of mandalorian because it felt like for a little bit there is this andor i know what's going on here you feel like sometimes when it's so so different it's Mm -hmm. like there's a moment or two where i'm like did somebody put the wrong file in here right like did somebody (laughs) screw this thing up but no you're absolutely right and it's I, I liked it. I have some. Me too. It, it's weird. It's 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 different, and it's not necessarily maybe the the smoothest way of storytelling. But I still think mm-hmm. we're getting a lot out of it, and I enjoyed both of the episodes with what we got. Yeah, and uh, you know what? It was actually almost more than just two episodes. This first episode we're going to talk about, episode three, uh, is essentially divided into two parts. The beginning yep. is one of the coolest. Uh, dog fights I've seen one of the coolest aerial battles with you know spaceships and tie fighters that I've seen in Star Wars period this was uh, a breath of fresh air I was completely blown away by the the tension that they built in that opening scene and then you know from that point on we're we're going off on the other side of the galaxy to a different story altogether we're seeing a whole different side of Coruscant 
characters that we've only really seen on the on the sidelines, you know, not really main characters. We're really diving into their backstory and and finding out a lot about what's going on uh, on a socio-political level uh, in the aftermath of everything that happened in the uh, in the original trilogy and the collapse of the empire. Um, I thought that was really interesting the way they explored the bureaucracy of it all, um, the way it, it, there was kind of parallels to what we did with the Nazis mm-hmm. after after World War II. Reassimilating everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I found it to be uh, a really interesting, a breath of fresh air. I liked both ends of the spectrum that that episode uh, existed on. I would say that when they went into Andor territory, they never quite reached the level of of Andor. You know, it, there was something about it that just kept it in that kind of A minus B plus level. If I can just break it down on a no, you're rating right. thing, whereas Andor was that A plus. I can't believe we're getting such greatness with with this, uh, you know, Disney plus Star Wars series. I mean, there, there's some uh, true art in that series, for lack of a better word. Some of the performances just transcended Star Wars and the genre in general and ended up being like prestige television uh, on, on, a, on a scale that we hadn't quite seen yet. So we, I didn't quite touch that. But man, this was a, a really solid uh, episode overall. And then I would say the same thing about episode uh, four, where I had issues with it, you know, a, a little bit uneven in tone. And uh, there was also kind of two really important kind of stories that we, uh, yeah, yeah. There was the flashback and the, which was kind of the B story. And then there's the A story involving, you know, the, uh, the, the foundling being kidnapped by, or, you know, abducted by uh, a, a giant beast. So those were interesting to, together, but again, it's like two very different stories yes. dri- driving this overall story forward. Both of them felt very different. Uh, and uh, yeah, overall, Really solid uh, entries on, on, on The Mandalorian here, but again, not quite perfect. An even is kind of where you're going to, and that's yeah. sort of why I feel like they're better watching the, the more as a whole, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, you get a little bit more in them individually. Yeah. Like, after this last week, the third, the fourth episode, it was so short, you're like, that's it? You know, really? Right. Like, it did just feel like it was getting going. But it before did. we get into kind of chronologically episodes three and four, Episode four, one thing that has to be mentioned about the foundling is we find out who saves Grogu. And yes. what an incredible roundabout and just mm-hmm. uh, like a full circle story for the actor Ahmed Best, yes. who played the Jedi Kelleran Beck. Mm-hmm. This was the voice of Jar Jar Binks. Who Not just the voice, the, the voice and the, the live action. Capture, the performance he was capture. like the first one to ever do this, right? Like this technology oh, was time. just starting, so he was like the first yeah. one to do this. And there was no Gollum when he did this. You nope. know, he was he was a groundbreaking uh, performer in the motion capture space, and he took it on the chin for years because of this. A lot of the backlash against the the prequels were directed specifically at him and his character. I mean, it went racial. I mean, he was accused of, you know, being a minstrel type character. I mean, everything that you could possibly think to just cut an actor and their performance down, uh, that that was what was, that's what he received in the wake of those films. So it's really great to see him, you know, fully realize this awesome Jedi character so many years later. And getting to play such a a pivotal role in this story that everybody loves now saving this character that's become one of the most beloved characters in star wars history of grogu 
And so he plays Jar Jar Binks and does not get great receptions. The character was maligned and he takes it on the chin for the character, which is not yeah, his fault unfairly. at all. Unfairly. Yeah. He has to he go. He did a great job, we should say, too. He, he, did. he was he was a great performer. He was physical. He did voice work in that. And like we mentioned, it was it was uncharted territory for, for an actor at that time. So he gets threats, all sorts of backlash to the point where the guy wasn't sure if he wanted to act anymore. He had to do therapy. He went through therapy for years and years and years to deal with this. And then just a few years ago, he comes back in the world of Star Wars to host a kid's game show called the Star yeah. Wars Jedi Temple Challenge. It was basically like Legends of the Hidden Temple kind of show. Mm-hmm. And he he played – he stayed in character the whole show as a Jedi. He wanted to make sure that if kids were watching this show, they saw him as a real Jedi. So he had a lot of fun with it. And the only reason why the show stopped was because the pandemic came. And so it, they weren't able to continue with it. But they actually were able to take this guy – who had such um, probably such awful feelings about Star Wars after those yeah. years, bring him back into this world and reintroduce him as this character that kids love, kids would feel safe and comfortable with. And it's so cool that he's the one that comes and saves Grogu. It all sort of makes sense. It all ties together. And man, I love when they're able to do things like this. And that was one of the coolest parts to me about episode four, The Foundling. Yeah, that absolutely blew me away. I, I didn't recognize him at, at first, and I had to oh, look online at, at who it was. And w- once once it hit, uh, it just the meta victory of that moment uh, just shined through so so well. But also, it just works from a storytelling perspective that we got this great new Jedi that we haven't learned much about yet. That they also were able to fold that game show into the canon. You know, for for the kids who are fans of that, that's got to be really cool. Yes. For you know, for Ahmed uh, Best, the actor, that's got to be a dream come true. So it's just it, it's just a feel good story, and he's not alone either. Having gone through that, uh, there's other actors. I believe uh, Kelly Marie Tran after the the um, uh, uh, Last Jedi film got a lot of of hate. Um, Jake Lloyd, the uh, actor who played young Anakin, you know, Hayden. he quit the business and got a lot. Hayden Christensen, sure, his his career was definitely affected by the fallout of, of that film and, so, and sort of his uh, maligned performance there. Uh, luckily, he's had some some uh, redemption recently with the Obi-Wan yeah. series, and we're see, starting to see a different angle from the fans and a new generation of fans who grew up on these films appreciating them differently, and, and they're actually feeling that. So that's a great thing to see, but I'd like to see more of it. I'd like to see too. you know the, the writers and the producers of Star Wars do more to right these wrongs. We've talked about this a little bit with Marvel, you know, how we can rehab characters and on, on a meta level or even on just a storytelling level. Uh, and yeah, it's great to see Star Wars doing that. We'd love to see more of it. Let's get into episode three. And this one was titled The Convert. And what was cool about both of these episodes, like the titling of them could have multiple <laughs> meanings for oh, yeah multiple people when we talk about the convert here because in this episode three we're going to spend time with Bo-Katan who she's sort of becoming a convert to this different sort of uh myth of of Mandalorian religion and lore than she uh, knew before and we have Dr. Pershing who is now a convert no longer part of the empire and being you know assimilated back into society so we actually open up 
just outside the living waters. And Din is has just been pulled up and been saved by Bo-Katan, but he didn't even realize that he got pulled down by something. He just thought he fell. And Bo's asking him, like, did you see what did you see down there? Did you hear anything? And no, I just saw the chasm passing me as I fell. I didn't realize it was so deep. So now she's in her own head. And this is something we're going to see over the course of these two episodes. She's convinced she saw this mythosaur. But remember, it's not supposed to be real. This isn't supposed to be something that anyone can see. It's supposed to be a story. She's never believed in this story. So she's having a real crisis of faith starting here and and moving forward because everything she thought to know to be stories or parables this is what you read in the bible right it's a story this is real she saw this right in front of her and she's um you can visibly see how it changes her and maybe what she thought about din and the and what din believes in yeah it's interesting uh, usually you talk about a crisis of faith from the perspective of somebody who has faith and then kind of loses it based on something. In this case, you know, she uh, she was kind of without faith and then sees something that, like, you know, m- makes her question her whole reality. Uh, is she going crazy? You know, what, what she believed this whole time? Has she been living her life wrong uh, this whole time? And so, yes, she's starting to open up to the idea that this kooky religion and all the, the little dogma and all the all the rules that they follow, maybe there's something to that. Maybe she's been blind to all that. And she kind of doesn't know how to reconcile that, or even if she's just going crazy at this point. So she asks, you know, you didn't see anything alive? And he's like, alive? What What are you talking about? And she doesn't want to sound crazy, so she just she just shrugs it off. And uh, they head back to Bo's ship, and they leave Mandalore, heading back to, to get, uh, heading back to, they're going to go back to Bo's. But while they're on the journey back, we actually hear that they're being followed. Interceptors. And it's it's funny because every every time it feels like there's a moment that's about to be just like quiet. And we're going to hear our characters sort of talk and interact nicely and sweetly. Oh, no, they're being followed. Here are the pirates or here are the interceptors. And, yeah. and that was what ended up happening here. The ship is getting uh, shot at. Um, but we do continue to to see like a really strong relationship growing and developing between Bo and Din. Um, Bo mm-hmm. is starting to, I think, think Din's a little bit less and less crazy. And Din mm-hmm. is very appreciative that Bo has come here and saved him now. He feels like he owes her his life. So the dynamic yeah. between the two of them has shifted. They're not nearly like at odds with each other or Bo's not seeming quite as competitive with Din here. They, it's a little bit different now. We're feeling a little bit more love and, and like care between them. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if they're, it's just kind of the, the calm before the storm because mm-hmm. eventually they are going to have to face off uh, with their conflicting desires. You know, Bo wanting to, you know, wield the Darksaber and really comes down to, to, to that. Uh, you know, uh, but perhaps we're going to see her kind of diverting from that path and uh, maybe her, her real destiny is to, ride a mythosaur or you know something along that line i've heard people speculate maybe that's that's uh grogu's destiny as well so who knows i'm just speculating at this point but uh uh it'll be interesting to see you know regardless because of this uh deeper connection that they're having you know as it develops whether whether or not they're going head to head or not that deeper connection is going to cause uh so much more 
conflict and strife down the road, you know, whether it's because, you know, he, um, whether it's because uh, Din wants to protect Bo and vice versa, or whether it's because, you know, they're both, you know, going at each other uh, in conflict, but also have these, these, you know, feelings for each other, you know, they care about each other. So there, there's internal conflict on top of that external conflict, uh, whichever way they decide to take it, it. It's very interesting. Yeah. And she's also warming up to Grogu too. You know, oh, we yeah. see the two of them connecting um, a, a lot more. So the dynamic with these three is is very interesting. As they yeah. get followed, this was the scene you were talking about visually. This is really oh, yeah. cool as the, the ship is getting shot at. Din is able to shoot some of them down. Then he has to exit the ship using his jetpack. And we have a couple scenes first in this uh, episode and then also in episode four that were so yeah. much like Iron Man stuff right, right? and i yeah. think favreau was obviously like heavily involved with these just the, yeah. the the way they were shot and the the way that he he has to drop out of the ship without turning his jetpack on so he's just mm. like free falling all the way down which is really cool and then he sort of has to turn it on right at the at the yeah. last moment and then he gets into his ship and then once he gets into the n1 like the uh-huh. the maneuvering capabilities that he has as he goes straight to the top, then he turns around and he's just free falling in the ship, and it's just mm-hmm. man, it's it gives me goosebumps just reliving it because it was so cool. Yes, the tension they built, you know, with the shots and the, and the timing of everything, uh, just out of control. Good. This was a perfect sequence. L- quite literally, it was perfect. I wouldn't change a, a damn thing about it. I, I I have burned in my brain like several moments from this sequence and that's how you know an action sequence you know really hits um that moment when he gets into his ship and just barely takes off before you know the platform underneath him explodes that's mm-hmm. just classic stuff you know just the the timing of it but it executed flawlessly perfectly and uh, i i i was on the edge of my seat this whole sequence i loved it visually the effects were were absolutely stunning but again the pacing and the way that it was all set up the framing of it was just a uh, chef's kiss so perfect and so keep in mind as din had to exit uh, bo's ship bo has grogu and r5 yeah. in there and they're oh, yeah. like you just hear the noises coming from them like like as the, as they're maneuvering and twirling around and ah like r5s in the back rolling yes. around and so just that's such a good point all the cross cutting to like raise the stakes and, and tell you where everyone is at every given moment it was done so effectively Really well done. And then just as Bo and Din have finished teaming up and they come back together, R5 is relieved and uh, Bo looks over to Din and she says, not bad for an antique. Uh, did you take any damage? And no, just some shields. They're both talking, not a scratch. Yeah, not a scratch. Uh, let's take them in just to be sure. So they turn around. They're going to go back to Bo's palace and just check everything out. And they see something on the radar and Bo's home has been blown up, blown up as she, as they fly by, she can see her her castle everywhere that she's grown up. It's gone. She's super emotional, and she almost gets like caught up in the emotions. What happens when you know oh, we yeah. lose someone when you're a parent or something like that, and you run after you you run after try to fight someone where it's not the right time, not the right place, and that's what Din is trying to tell her. Hey, look can't do this right now there's too many of them you have to get out of here back up she's basically trying to go like one on 20 right here and she's not even thinking straight 
yeah, yeah. She's just charging in there and uh, uh, Din tries to tries to warn her. But yeah, she's just uh, absolutely um, not putting any caution forward at that, at that moment. And it, they barely make it out alive in this, in this moment there. And it, and it begs the question, uh, who sent these ships? I know they said something to that effect. Like, and you, you got to wonder, like, who's behind this? Is it is it Thrawn? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, right. A bigger a bigger boss. That's been a one of the bad. one of the concerns, not concerns or gripes I've heard is that is there a big bad? Is there a the mm-hmm. a boss and evil? I think, and we're gonna find out too that right now as we move and mm-hmm. as Din and Bo go to the the covert, we then flash to Coruscant. We get the Mandalorian title screen for chapter 19. We will come back with Din, Bo, and Grogu at the end of this episode. But now for the a, a large portion, we're in Coruscant with Dr. Per, uh, Dr. Pershing. And I think this is going to lead us to finding out that Gideon is still around or Gideon is still going to be out there. Because not only do we see Dr. Pershing giving a big speech, if you don't remember this name, Dr. Pershing was the one at the very beginning of The Mandalorian. He was the doctor who was doing experiments on Grogu, the one that uh, Din was actually able to take Grogu from. We've seen Dr. Pershing a few different times show up, but this is the first time we've really been in his perspective and we've been made to sort of empathize with him. We thought he was just a real bad guy, but we find out pretty quickly that that was not the case. He says, my research was twisted into something cruel and inhumane at the behest of a desperate individual intent on using cloning technology to secure more power for himself. And he talks about how his original intentions were good. He was young. He lost his mother, the person he admired most. Her heart gave out. Simple cloning would have easily prevented her death. He shows some holograms of, uh, look, genetic strains, different things, as he gives this big speech at a familiar-looking uh, auditorium. Yeah. This is one that we've seen before in Coruscant. Um, and after his speech, he's meeting with the aristoc- aristocrats and the elites, and they're just sort of picking his brain a little bit. Yeah. But we also see one more familiar face, Officer Kane, who will go for a, a little bit by the number uh, until she introduces herself. She's known as G68, but she is Kane. She's a familiar face. She was one of Moff Gideon's former officers. So she was working for the Empire along with Dr. Pershing, and now they are both in this program that is meant to rehabilitate and um, sort of redeem some of these folks who did bad things. Now they feel like they can um, they can give back and work for the New Republic here. So what do you think of our introduction right. and seeing uh, Dr. Pershing here giving his speech in, uh, in Coruscant? I thought it was really cool uh, to see this angle of Coruscant, you know, in a different era, um, kind of bridging the times. I, I, I thought that was really uh, interesting. And um, I believe the venue, uh, you, meant, you, you spoke to this a little bit, but where he was speaking, was that uh, the same as the theater where? Um, uh, yes, sir. Yes, where Anakin got the the, mm-hmm. the speech from Palpatine uh, about the story of of Darth Plagueis, I think, if I'm not mistaken, in Episode Three. Yes, Might be sir. getting that the name wrong, but yeah, I love to see that like flashback. I love to see like how the the Senate uh, is sort of functioning now, um, and I love the the specifics of like how they're integrating 
the the empire and the, the personnel from the empire into you know the new republic um and it's it, it how it kind of echoes operation paperclip and how we brought over nazi scientists to to work for nasa and those same scientists are like essentially the some of the people that helped us develop the space program uh that that we have today so very interesting uh parallels there and to kind of see both sides of the coin and how they're playing uh, with with moral relativism a little bit, like perhaps the empire wasn't all bad or or vice versa. You know, there, there's good and bad elements throughout, and uh, we can see how various systems of all types can become corrupted and bureaucratic. These last few, this show and the Andor and Boba Fett in, in little parts here and there, they have done that so well in yeah. like that gray area, like who is good, who is bad. Right? right, I mean, there's so few people that are 100% bad or 100% good, right? And like everybody yeah. else is in the middle somewhere, you know. Like we've talked about this before with some of the bad right. people that they portray in, you know, MCU stuff. Like, not mm-hmm. that many people are that horrible of a person, right? Like right. there are, but but there are few, and then not everybody is that goody goody of a person, and so it is interesting when I keep. Reminding myself of the Bill Burr Speech Mm -hmm. in Season 2 of Mandalorian when he's like Look you grew up here And so that's what you thought was good And I grew up here and so that's what I thought was good Like you think we're bad I'm not bad you're not bad we're just We're the same people just doing different things Because that's what we learned You know and um, They they do a great job at the Shades of Grey in this show and so now we're going to spend a lot of time we're basically like spending the a day in the life of dr pershing here right like we're seeing what he's going through he chats with some of these elites and then he travels back through coruscant to his housing which was really cool i just loved watching him with the droid as the droid sort of giving him the tour um i think you'll find our our level uh our city very lovely visit the sky dome botanical gardens the mrs blossoms are in full bloom just sort of Letting them know everything around the Galactic Museum is here, the Holographic Museum of Extinct Animals, and uh, here we are, Amnesty Housing. So they drop him off, at Doctor Pershing, at housing, and it's is it's really well done because this sort of feels like what it would be like at a you know a company town or a place where you had to stay or live with a bunch of the people you worked with. He walks yeah. back in, and everyone's out there just sort of having a beer on the patio. You know, they're yeah. It, it First kind day of just, school vibes on there yeah. Cafeteria Yeah right you're out there yeah. and they're all They're sort of shooting the shit a little bit And says come over here doctor have a drink with us And when he walks over He's kind of startled To see that one of the Four or five people sitting at this Table Was a face that he Remembered was someone that worked On Moff Gideon's ship he even says that I didn't expect to see anyone from Moff Gideon's ship here mm-hmm. And right away the woman who is just known as G68 at this point, but we will know her as Kane, Officer Kane. She says, I try not to think about him anymore. Thanks to the rehab program, I can contribute to the New Republic. And the others defend her. So she seems to be fine. You know, Dr. Pershing has a few trepidations, mm-hmm. but overall, as like the way that they film it and the way that they're like, we get little little hints all yeah. the time that she's bad, right? that she's either setting him up or she's still a part of the Empire or she's still working with Gideon or something along those lines because we see 
a little bit more than everybody else sees. And so from the very beginning, we can tell she's not, she doesn't have the best of intentions. Yeah, I think she's also like the only one when he enters that doesn't look to look him. Back. Like so she's 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 like expecting him there and kind of like mm-hmm. you know playing a role throughout. She knows. I think they, they yeah, they tipped their hand at that a, a few times throughout. Uh and then by the end of the episode, you know, the, not to jump ahead, but you know, spoiler alert here, they uh, uh you know, they're she's revealed to be definitely somebody who's, you know, mm-hmm. on the dark side <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, she she's definitely a bad person or somebody with um uh, an agenda and and not a good one uh somebody who's uh possibly working for for somebody i wonder if uh it could be the emperor and they're trying to draw a connection here to the the sequel series and 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 the cloning mm-hmm. and everything that happened that somehow the emperor returned perhaps she's involved with the backstory of all that and that's kind of where we're going here so i'm very interested to see where how that all shakes out uh, but by the end of this episode, we know a little bit more, but still very, very much a mystery. Now they, uh, all of them sit there and joke about some of the, I thought this was sort of funny things that they missed from the empire. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah. and Dr. Pershing's like, well, no, I didn't miss anything. They're like, no, no, not, <laughs> not like that. Like we, we didn't miss the fascism <laughs> and stuff. Right. We're talking about like when your life was better and everything was good. And they joke about travel biscuits and he talks about yeah. these yellow travel biscuits that he used to like. And you know they they have a few drinks and they all go back to their rooms and we see Dr. Pershing listening to sort of like an infomercial about Coruscant just finding out more about the place and there's a knock on his door and he goes there's nobody there but somebody has left a box of the travel biscuits at the door for him and trying to get on his good side um he's able to find out pretty quickly that it was in fact uh, uh Kane who is trying to butter him up a little bit here mm-hmm. but yeah, following this, we just see what his daily life is like. The next morning, he goes to work. He's in the same exact sort of cubicle as our buddy from Andor was. Uh, mm. Same sort of like office setup. And mm. his boss, he's basically a paper pusher. Like he has to just like input data, which seems very below him. This is a really smart doctor who was capable of right. like, high level research. His boss even says, "Wow, I heard you last night." Why are why are we having you do this? You know, and, um, <laughs> so it's not it's just it's one of these things where you're you're watching him and they're trying to rehabilitate this guy, but you just see like he has so little to actually like live for here yeah. about his life. Like there's just nothing about it that's really interesting or fun. He just has to go through the motions. And yeah, he's had his wings clipped. Like he's mm-hmm. he's a scientist and he he can't you know explore. The world he can't explore his you know his chosen profession and and uh his hypothesis uh that's something that's gonna eat away at him you know every moment of the day because he's like you said he's just you know pushing papers it reminded me a little bit of and andor did as well but uh severance great series mm-hmm. uh we've talked about it a little bit but just that that i don't know that mind numbing just mm-hmm. this is your life you know it's all structured no choice and yeah it's just this one note like that's that it, it's kind of like a living hell when you really think about it uh and it, it gave me those vibes and he he's out now exploring the city of coruscant he's eating a, a glowing ice cream at what is i believe a yeah. monument park it sort of looks like like a city walk kind of like amusement yeah. park almost like a boardwalk and 
the woman from the night before Kane shows up who is officer G68 They walk and talk a little bit together About research going unfinished And we can see her starting to prod him a little bit Why not continue your research here He says I don't think that's something the new republic would be interested in Ethics of cloning are complicated But if it could help the new republic Isn't that important enough Following orders blindly is how we got in trouble in the first place Sometimes you have to trust your gut Well done by Kane. That was a good uh, good little tidbit there To try to uh, really work on his heartstrings And mm-hmm. they, you could tell her plan here Was just to get him to continue his research And I think to for, for her to find out what he needed To continue some of that research And just to really get in his mind She's trying to gain information from him but yeah, but she's playing him well, right? She's not like she's acting like a friend. She's warming up to him. We heard about the travel biscuits. She jo- they joke out here as they walk around. There's a big rock out there, um, which is really funny because Coruscant is a planet where everything is is uh, like off the off the the ground, off the floor, and it's called the Peak of Umate. It's the highest mountain on Coruscant, and it's like a story. Hi, you know, it's just like a rock that's not that It's like it looks like Eagle Rock or like a rock that you'd see And it's the only place on the entire surface Where you can see the planet itself And she sets him up She says, do you want to touch it? And he says, are we allowed to do that? Yeah, no problem And he goes up to touch it and the droids come So they're sort of flirting even, you know <laughs> Like it, it, it's fun And it feels like we're seeing two people Who didn't realize they were on the bad side And now they've been rehabilitated a little bit And so... While I was just saying he didn't have much to live for This is a relationship that was kind of fun and interesting to him And it, and, it, and you could tell these two connected a little bit They're both laughing And yeah. seems like they had a, a, a fun night You know, and Yeah, they're making a connection And uh, you know, she's not being obvious that she's being manipulative You know, it does seem fairly just natural and off the cuff uh, and for for someone in his position, he's you know starved for you know some human connection and you know you know a life with you know some type of agency. And so she's given him a little bit of that, you know, a little bit of uh, the unexpected, you know, from moment to moment. And uh, that's something that otherwise he has none of that. So we get to the next morning and we see Dr. Pershing at a counseling session with a droid. <laughs> he's basically going to therapy with a droid, and so he just says. Were you able to maintain a consistent schedule? Yes. Are you experiencing undue stress due to work? No. Have you experienced any feelings of anger or resentment toward your coworkers? Have you experienced any fe- feelings of anger or resentment towards the New Republic? Thank you for continuing. And he asks a question. If I were to pursue my own research, would that be allowed? They look at his file. According to your research, according to your file, your research involved cloning and genetic engineering. That is expressly prohibited. By the Coruscant Accords, my apologies Thank you So he's kind of like, okay yeah. Now, he goes to talk with Officer G68 Kane Who he was speaking with the other day Remember what we were talking about with my research? I, I think we should do it It's important in the hands of the New Republic I think it can be used for good But w- what should we do? And she tells him, look, what do you know? What do you need to get started? What kind of supplies? And he says, a mobile lab station She says no problem we can get you a mobile lab station But it's going to require going outside our perimeter So they're going to have to go break the rules a little bit To do what they think is is going to help the new republic So they have a plan 
to go out the next night. And it's even here, like they just they linger on Kane a little bit with shots. When Doctor Pershing leaves, we see the like the true look in her eyes, and then we're going to find out that she sets him up. But but if you're Pershing here, you just sort of think this is a friend, someone that you yeah. can confide in, and they they did a good job of this of like setting him up here. Yeah, it's a good it's a honeypot scheme. You know, she mm-hmm. she was the bait. And uh, they wanted something from him. They obviously want whoever they is. We still don't know, but they want him to continue his his research. Uh, that's important to uh, whoever's behind all this, which is why, you know, I think it might have something to do with the the emperor who needed to be cloned, <laughs> you know, needed cloning there. Mm-hmm. Maybe it has something to do with Snoke uh, and, and that evolution. You know, there was many attempts at creating Snoke at one point. Um, TBD, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, but yeah, like it was... It was all done very, very well um, and orchestrated well, but he wanted what he wanted so much uh, and, you know, felt like there was really no other options that that he had blinders on to any kind of skepticism that he was getting yeah. set up. And that, that was yeah. part of the reason why, you know, he fell, he, you know, headfirst into this trap. And you know what? Keep in mind, this is a guy who is extremely smart, like book smart, but he's very naive. Sure. Like he's he's yeah. like a like one of the smartest guys you ever met, but he's not like a people person really. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see that right away. And um, he's not someone who has a whole lot of like life experience. He's been like an empire scientist, you know, yeah. doing research, like working out of a a lab forever. So he's you know he's someone that can get that can get played a little bit. And while he's still thinking about if he he wants to go through with this because. He doesn't want to get in trouble. He's someone who's scared. He's not like a badass dude. All the next day, he's back at his desk and he's talking to his boss a little bit. And it's like everything that he's he's asking and he's hoping for doesn't happen. And it pushes him to his decision to decide, okay, I need to do this because I can't imagine sitting here doing the same thing over and over. His boss says, We um, you know. His boss basically told him, I've never seen someone from the amnesty program make a request like you're saying. He, Dr. Yeah. Pershing's trying to like overstep his his position now. They're not really receptive to him. He asked the droid, you know, can I do the cloning? And the droid says no. So he finally gets to this this next counseling session with the droid. And I think he asks some real key questions here. Um, our main objective is to help the Republic, right? And the counseling droid responds, correct. And that supersedes everything else, Dr. Pershing asks. The droid responds, it does. Thank you for continuing to be an important part of the amnesty program. So that was like the final straw for him. Just hearing, right? Like, this supersedes everything. If you think it's going to help the New Republic, that's the most important. Yeah, so in in essence, he got the go-ahead. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, on the surface, they said I couldn't do it, but the underlying rule is that, you know, if it helps the Republic, it's it's all good. So, you know, I got a tacit uh, approval here from the Republic that I can go go handle this business. Um, Yeah, he he was just looking for an opportunity to to affirm what he wanted to do, and and he got it there. Uh, And it it was just uh, another really interesting example of the bureaucracy that he was you know up against right there just the the fact that he's got to go through this ridiculous motion of being asked these questions by this droid and then he's answering them in a very clear like he's not being sarcastic but he's lying he's like he's saying no but obviously he means yes yeah he is upset about things and he's he's 
he's being deceitful to the, the droid. And the droid has seemingly no idea that that's the case. Like that's right on its on its face there, an example of the the waste and the bureaucracy and how, like the, the system that just doesn't work with the way that they're running it. Like, cause any human being in that droid's place would be able to see, okay, clearly this person is upset. Let's ask some more questions here. Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's address these issues. But no, he's stuck in this machine, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's just a big machine of the bureaucracy. And uh, the droid is a great metaphor for that. So I love the next day, or I guess it's later uh, at night, He's pushing, he's like pumping himself up to go. And he's like, you're helping the New Republic. It's the right thing to do. You know, he's like talking to himself and he yeah. gets ready. And Dr. Pershing and G68 head to a transportation system, uh, transportation system. Now keep in, or station, excuse me. Keep in mind, she's much better at this, right? She was not a scientist. She <laughs> was like an officer and an agent. So she's actually been around. She knows what to do and she's undercover at this point like she's totally setting doc dr pershing up so she's leading him to into a trap as they get on a train but they follow through a metal detector and they kind of follow right behind someone so they don't have to walk through it themselves they were able to kind of sneak through security check because remember they're not supposed to be out here as the part of the pr program that they're in they have the specific uh, rules that they need to be following and they're going to the disposal yards to get some of this inventory from former imperial ships and they have to avoid the droids that come looking for tickets this is like an old train robbery heist scene here where they're like leaping from one boxcar to the next boxcar which is kind of okay. fun and they're um they're trying to 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 fit in with the rest of the uh, with the rest of the patrons, and they're not trying to make a scene here, so they have this like awkward doctor. Uh, the doctor like awkwardly says something to a few of the people, and it, it doesn't work nearly as well as when when Kane is trying to do the small talk here. So we kind of see how goofy he is, how unathletic he is. Um, but they do make it. They leap from the train at the end, TK, and they make it to the shipyard depot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that sequence. It was very much like uh, the tropes of like a classic serialized drama. Like I feel like I've seen that like Indiana Jones or something to that effect, the, the hopping from train car to train car. Mm -hmm. like, um, th that's a classic, very classic thing. And then jumping off the, the moving train and all, all that. Um, so that, that, was, that was fun stuff. Nothing, nothing new, nothing groundbreaking. But like I, I like the vibe of that. And they have to now go search through these old empire ships to try to find some of the medical equipment that dr pershing will need for his research and as they go through they just talk with each other and kane says i must have passed you on gideon's ship a hundred times i'm sorry i never introduced myself you know that that wasn't how things were back then but they do introduce themselves now elia kane communications officer dr penn pershing scientist they shake hands and they go and find a lab and you could see he's excited to be in here. He's a tr a real doctor, real scientist. Like he loves this. This is his life's work, and you can see the excitement in his face way more than you've seen it when he's just going through the motions, doing the jobs that he's now been assigned. This is what he wants to do. This is what he's passionate about. And as he's putting together all of the equipment, they both hear some noise off in the background. 
She tries to comfort him. She says, "Oh, it's just the ship settling, right?" <laughs> um, when in reality, she knows that there are people that are coming after them, and she's setting him mm-hmm. up. So as yeah. soon as he has all of these supplies that he needs, they walk out. He thinks they've made it. Doctor Pershing thinks they've made it, and as they start to run. A big spotlight shines on them And we see that she had set him up She takes the lab equipment from him The New Republic officers arrest Dr. Pershing And not only do they arrest him They lock him up And they strap him to a table With Mm -hmm. bolts on each side of Dr. Pershing's brain This is called the Mind Flare This is a terrifying device here, TK Yeah, like a torture device that they've I don't know if they've shown it in the past, but I think they've made reference to it. Mm-hmm. We've heard mistaken. it. Yeah, we've we've heard the mind flayer referenced before, but I don't think we've ever we've seen it like th- yeah. like this. And what initially it is actually supposed to be used at low levels to right. like they're telling him to kind of as as sort of like a thera- a therapeutic to kind of help you right. through tough you know emotional. The this the the being separated from your old life, what this is like, everything. But at the mm-hmm. highest levels, it's basically like wiping someone's brain. It's mm-hmm. basically frying their mind. So they they really do the doctors here. Although it doesn't look great, they're not really trying to wipe his brain. But this is when we really see how bad Kane is. Because even until this point, we really don't know. What her motivations are We can tell she's bad And she's setting him up But we don't really even know if it's just Like is she just super loyal to the New Republic now It's it's for the first time We really see that She's trying to eliminate Dr. Pershing She's trying to kind of wipe his mind And his memories Some of the things that he he may have known before That That feels like what she's trying to do here yeah, it seems like it's more than just, uh, you know, like revenge, like they're trying to torture this guy for doing something in, in the past. You know, it seems like they're trying to cover tracks. Yeah. Um, they made met, uh, reference earlier uh, to Moff Gideon uh, or in a rumor about Moff Gideon having undergone the mind flare. And I think I think they specified that, you know, had his memory wiped or something to that effect. Um, and I think that's what's going on here. Uh, too, maybe somebody is trying to cover the tracks of what was going on, you know, uh, you know, behind the scenes prior. Maybe there's there's the there's a faction that's still, you know, underground that's rising up again. Maybe this is the the emperor and this is how, you know, all those ships got built by, you know, Rise of Skywalker and all that stuff. You know, the emperor uh, somehow he returned like there's a big chunk of uh backstory there that's just completely blank right now that's like ready to be filled in by dave filoni and john Favre. Mm-hmm. i think that's what they're we're what pointing they're to doing here. Mm-hmm. yeah i think so i feel like an arrow we're like on an arrow <laughs> right right there like being, yeah. being pushed and being nudged right there towards this and we we see our officer kane and she's actually watching this procedure happen to dr pershing and she's actually talking to the commissioner of the new republic who applauds her He says man I thought Dr. Pershing was doing so well But you've done the right thing Thank you um, You know, For every failure for this program There's a real success like you Kane You know G68 And the commissioner gives a little twist of a knob So you could see Dr. Pershing isn't in pain at the moment 
He's not hurting. Whatever's going on, whatever's happening to him is at the very lowest level. The and therapeutic the, level. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and as the commissioner walks out, Kane turns it all the way up to really fry Dr. Pershing's mind. And we can see him being tortured. He's in pain. And as he's in pain, she's eating one of those yellow biscuits, smiling mm. while she does, <laughs> which was a good little. I love that little little yeah. tidbit right at the end. And I, I even in watching the new Rockstars uh, recap, sort of talking about this, they said, if you recall, when she was sitting down talking to the other ones, she talked about how she liked the red ones better, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's eating the yellow one. And they said she was even lying about that. Right, oh, just like, wow. which I, didn't which catch I that. thought was great. It's like she was even lying about the biscuits that she liked. You know, said she liked the right. red flavored ones better, and she really just 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 a total phony. So that was I got I got to think. Just sorry, that just made me think. Like please. the the biscuits was probably like in her back pocket that whole time, uh, metaphorically. Like like sh- that whole conversation she probably like seeded that conversation Set it and, all up. and knew that the answer like it would probably like a very common answer that the people would say the biscuits because like the empire sucked so that was one of the only good things everybody liked so like she probably yeah. knew that was going to be mm-hmm. the answer and had them ready to go just judging by how fast like she got those biscuits to his door it was probably all part of the plan from the beginning so who knows like exactly how far back the plan goes and you know who Gave how many other people exactly yeah, many are involved. involved? Exactly. Because you're right. Yeah. It was too convenient. She's got them all already. Like you said, when when the first time her and Dr. Pershing interact, she doesn't look at him because she already knows he's going to yeah. be there. You know, yeah. it's like all those little things, which, um, yeah, she eats that biscuit and smiles as his <laughs> mind is getting wiped. But we do check back in to finish this episode with Din, with <laughs> Bo, and with Grogu. And Mm -hmm. they are at the Mandalorian covert and Din says they still live by the old ways. It will go smoother if you keep your helmet on. Trust me. (laughs) She says, of course. And as they arrive, Pas Vizsla stops Din. He says, come no further. You are an apostate. But he confirms that he has been to the mines of Mandalore and I have bathed in the living waters. Pas Vizsla does not believe him. The mines collapsed, but remember, Din has brought some water with him, and Bo-Katan also vouches for him. I was witness. Paz Vizsla says, who are you, night owl? <laughs> he says, I'm Bo-Katan of Clan Krees. Paz Vizsla tells her her house has fallen from the way, and you are both apostates. But they do have the water. And as all of these Mandalorians are very skeptical of letting Bo and Din in, they speak with the armorer. Din gives the armorer the waterer, the water, the waterer, <laughs> the armorer, okay. the water, who then pours the water in for a test. And the armorer says, they speak the truth. This, these are indeed the living waters. Din, dar, uh, Din, you are redeemed. This is the way. And Bo-Katan, you, by creed, are also redeemed. And she said, yeah. wait, I, I don't even, I don't walk the way. But the armorer reminds her, if you bathed in the waters... And you have not removed your helmet. You can join us and live as your ancestors once did. You can leave anytime you wish. Until then, you are one of us. Welcome, Bo-Katan of Clan Krees. This is the way. And the, immediately, just two minutes earlier, this entire group of people, they looked like they were ready to kill Bo and Din and not <laughs> let them in. And now, just a few words from the armorer. It's completely flipped. 
and they're all embracing and you you can't see because their helmets are on but this is just great acting because i can see bo right like you can see her mm-hmm. feeling emotions cuz everybody is coming up and congratulating her they all come up and like kind of tap her on the back and you can yeah. see she's moved she was alone she'd been abandoned multiple times by her people and now right. She feels a camaraderie, a little bit of a family, like a community that she has not felt in quite some time. And at the at the same time, I think she's a little bit surprised that the armorer doesn't seem like this crazy old fanatic either. Right. She says, oh, look, you can stay with us as long as you want and leave whenever you want. It's fine. It's not like she's being held hostage. There's nothing extreme or crazy about it it's very much if you want to be here you can be here if you want to leave you can leave and i yeah it, it seems like bo i just don't think bo had the like the right perception of what this was she feels moved and we're going to see her really become a big part of this group in episode four she she mm-hmm. really is sort of like earning her stripes with and and ga- gaining a lot of respect from this group of the remaining mandalorians yeah, that's so true. And she just kind of falls into place there. You know, and I, I think that from her perspective, that's kind of uh, h- how it unfolds. Like it wasn't anything intentional on her part. It's just she's been witness to, um, you know, revelations, so to speak. And and with that, uh, she's she's going with the flow and accepting it and not rejecting it and keeping an open mind and an open heart. And then with with that, she's seen like you kind of uh, touched on. Um, and she's seen exception to kind of how she had figured out, uh, the Mandalorian people were like her perceptions of them, uh, are kind of flipped on, on, a, on a, their head, at least that, that faction of Mandalorians, forgive me, I forget the, uh, the names. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's just kind of going with it, but it feels right to her. Uh, and I, I find that to be r- really interesting and compelling because with every new, kind of thing that she's exposed to she's kind of having to reevaluate and question wait am i am i doing this are we doing this now like uh this every new custom and they they review a few new ones in the um in the next episode uh but she kind of has that moment every time of like oh this is kind of weird but i guess you know i'll give it a try uh that's how you guys want to do it okay and she sees like the good and the bad in it and she kind of has to work that out for herself so uh, I, I really find that dynamic very interesting, and it's a it, it's, it's like a, a microcosm yeah, of, of society today, isn't it? For sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. so everybody is so convinced that they're right and the other side is wrong um, that it can't be all all that way, right? There's no mm-hmm. way. Like, there are so many layers to things. I I can't remember how many times there was a person that I just had a wrong image or a, a, right. a misconception of. Like I thought this person was a phony or an ass or whatever, and then you talk to him for a while and you become really good friends with them. And it's like, sure, yeah, how? And this is that's sort of exactly what we're seeing here. Like I mm-hmm. think every time, every time Bo is around Din, I think she just respects him more and more because like how can you not respect Din? Like he's yeah. just a very like honest, pretty genuine person, and now we're seeing him caring for Grogu, and and I think. She's realizing, yeah, you know, this might not be as crazy as I thought it was, or right. it might not be as wrong as my family made me believe it was. As we kind of move pretty 
nicely and smoothly right into episode four because we open up right where we were and we're at that Mandalorian covert with a training mm-hmm. sparring session. And it's all yes. these the younglings and the foundlings and they're they're fighting each other. Um, we see all of them training, right? And this is something that you do in any sport, like at any level. I remember it's funny because I wrestled growing up. Mm-hmm. And when you are like five years old, they you have a group of like five guys that are all your little group, and you go in the corner and you all work on new moves. And then you like right. you spar with each other, basically. This is like exactly what they're doing here. Um it, it, so it, I think in any cus in any um, community in any like society we we have just like this they're teaching they're training and we know that the Mandalorians yeah. are awesome fighters or badass fighters and this was just cool to see them out all on the beach. Episode four yeah. is also known as like a beach episode, which is kind of a trope in TV shows and anime, which lets us know that this is a more heavy character building episode. Where we learn a little more about the characters And it's sort of um, a, would say relaxed setting We're going to have some crazy beast But it's more of in one beach type setting So um, Man, I, I tell you though I've, I've seen a lot of these dads like this When I coach soccer, Tim and, right. and Din was He's ready to throw Grogu right into the fire Here, but it, I, yeah. it's, it's scary for all of us Watching because we're like Oh crap Grogu's going to be like fighting someone really Right but, but Din knows what nobody else does That Grogu knows the force And has yeah. powers and capabilities That are incredible How many times has Grogu <laughs> saved Din Grief Karga Huge beasts You know Has been the reason why They've been able to go on And now It's time for Grogu To train So right. uh, <laughs> It, it was so funny because I like I you know we talk about now you and I are our new dads and I can't help but think of like this where Grogu has to come up and they put the like the darts <laughs> on his arm and he says okay Grogu you know you got to do this son you you gotta if you want to yeah. you know it's, it's that time put down the put down the rocks I need you to come over here and focus and and it's great because as Din is super confident in Grogu Bo-Katan's <laughs> playing the worried mom. She's right, like, right. are you sure about this? Like, he's kind of small. And uh, and then she actually ends up, like, going on eye level with Grogu and said, hey, look, my dad was the same way. He's just proud right. of you. You just take it easy on him, kid. Um, yeah. So I, I thought that was funny. Bo playing the mom role. Uh, Din playing the, like, soccer dad who's ready to push yeah. his kid and, you no know, thinks his kid is the best. And, of course... Who Grogu has to train with is Ragnar. This is the child yeah. that we saw in the opening episode of this season that was getting baptized. This is Jimmy the child's nephew. It's Jimmy Kimmel's <laughs> nephew, and he's actually the son of Paz Vizla. So mm-hmm. Mando and Paz Vizla have a rivalry, and now of course Grogu and uh, the son will. And the son is just ta- um, Ragnar is talking some shit right away. You know, he's like, hey, he's too mm-hmm. small. He he doesn't even have a helmet on. He's too yeah. small And Din says back to him A part of the Mandalorian creed One does not speak Unless one knows And the boy says well I know And <laughs> you can tell Din is pissed He says well this is a lesson for you then yeah. As Poor Grogu He's skeptical he's reluctant And you just gotta think you know like He's in a totally conflicting 
teachings here. Like, you know, he was being taught by Luke and Ahsoka who are teaching you the force and not really to fight back. And now right. he's got to, now he's got to fight and be aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they have choice of like any type of weapons. I mean, like he's getting uh, lessons in all sorts of combat, you know, like it's, it's just the exact opposite of the, the Jedi way. Obviously Jedis are, are dangerous and they, they can fight, but they're much more oriented towards like peace and, and uh, you know, um, deflection and that sort of thing. Whereas like the, the Mandalorians, they're like a war tribe type people. So yeah, he's definitely caught in the middle of that culturally. And it's a little bit of shell shock going from one to the next. Uh, overall, th this sequence, I, I liked it. Uh, I felt it was a little silly though. Overall, I, I don't know if you had that, that feeling, but yeah, even I just did. from the initial, uh, you know, the, the wide shots showing everybody doing their thing. I get what they're going for, but it just seemed a little too chaotic. It didn't seem like there was enough order to what they were doing. Like, I agree with in, you. Um, like the training. Or yeah, like there everybody was order. off on their own. It wasn't. And they would have been lined organized. up. They would have been in. Yeah, it would have felt more organized. It just felt hodgepodgey uh, mm -hmm. and a little bit like the, they were just randomly shooting into the water. And then a, couple, a pocket of people over to the left or right were, were, were doing their own thing. Like just kind of. Yeah, it didn't feel like it was an organized enough. Uh, and, and that's that's been my experience when I do like team sports and things like that. The military, I, I think that they're they're much more there's much more order uh, to it. And you just see that from from an outside perspective. And then just the way it played out, just a little bit silly, a little bit kitty. Um, even the jump that Grogu does, it felt a little like a little laughable overall, though, I, I, I got it. Um, and it, it worked. I liked the uh, one does not speak unless one knows that I thought that worked really well and the way that like uh, paid off. Uh, but ultimately, it was a, it was a little bit silly and far fetched. And then the way, you know, it kind of ends with this giant, you know, uh, pterodactyl beast thing. I don't know what the name of this creature was that swoops out of nowhere, completely takes them all by surprise and goes off with the kid, this foundling. Uh, that to me also, while it, it worked as like the shocking moment and the visuals were cool, uh, it's like did they not have anybody on watch? They they mentioned like, later that like you a just bunch of kids already got. Why taken. are you still on this beach when we know right. there's a monster on this beach? Like what right. the hell? You can't go anywhere else. Why are you still on this little area of beach when we saw a huge monster come out? That you all had to deal with before. I don't. I don't even have a problem with that because maybe there's monsters everywhere. But like, have somebody on watch who I, can see the thing coming. Like within, yeah, I, you know, a few hundred yards, this thing came out of, out of nowhere seemingly and just snatched the kid. And uh, yeah, so like my issue with this episode and even the, the one prior was stuff like that, little just logic things that didn't quite feel like they were, uh, you know, fully formed. I, I guess like little logic holes, little things that they just happened to move the plot me out of. Yeah. Right, yeah. Exactly. Then, like happening because they really would have happened in that situation. Yeah. Uh, some things just weren't completely thought through in the way that they were executed. And it, 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 it delivered on a way that like, I, I find kind of consistent with cartoons. So I'm like, I, I could, I could expect this sort of thing for any of the animated series like the clone wars or the bad batch sure. or something like that to me like I, I i could suspend my disbelief about stuff like that for cartoons uh but this is supposed to be like on par with the films and it just felt cartoony to me so when they uh they start they use the darts 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the judge tells him, you may fire the darts in any order. Each direct hit gets one point. Uh, Mark must be visible to score. One round, highest score wins. So these darts are paintballs, basically. So you can see that the paint has hit. Yeah. But keep in mind, Grogu's never trained with any of this stuff. Like, right. he doesn't, he's never done this. And Bo even says to the Mandalorian, like to Din, he doesn't know how to fire darts. And he's got this, trust me. So they put a little armband on Grogu that shoots out paint darts. This thing is like swimming on him too. It's like five sizes too big because he's not a a normal person size. Mm -hmm. And Grogu's opponent, Ragnar, shoots him immediately. One point. And Grogu sort of looks at Din for comfort. He says, don't look at me. Look at him. (laughs) And again, Grogu gets shot immediately. So he's down 0-2. And Din comes over and says, Grogu. I've seen what you can do. It's okay. Show them. So he gives him the green light to use the force. Grogu yeah. leaps back and forth over his opponent and then shoots three darts at him. Pew, pew, pew. And right. then you get the proud dad moment. There you go. And he's all pumped. And Bo says, wow, did you teach him that? She's all uh, impressed with Din. Paz Vizsla is disappointed is in his son. But that's the moment when the huge... Dragon-like creature mm-hmm. plucks off the kid, and Paz Vizsla and Din go flying after, but they basically their jetpacks stall because they run out of fuel. They can't yeah. fly at the pace and the distance they need. And Paz Vizsla says, "I'm out of fuel." It always gets away. So we know this is something that happens repeatedly. Yeah. This is not the first time. But Bo shows her shows her well, like her wealth shows. Yeah. What she's willing to do, how much of a leader she is. She gets yeah. in her ship. She goes after the creature and the child. That's when we get mm-hmm. the Mandalorian title screen come up. So but she's Bo, pulling her weight, which is which is nice. Like right, she's not yeah. coming into this place and just sort of quietly sitting in the back. She she's willing to do whatever. She's willing to yeah. help save you know the, this kid right here, and she has the plan. She walks in and she says. We kept a high altitude, and I followed it to its lair. I know how to get there. We should muster up a hunting a hunting party and go after him. I scouted where it lives. I mapped the location on the nest. Um, I will go get him. And she's got everything down. She, I mean, mm-hmm. she's should I? I know where they are. I used to climb these mountains in basic training. I'll fly to the foothills. I'll scale the rest of the way on foot. Like, mm-hmm. and this is like early on. This group. Is really receptive to her now because, like we said, she's coming in. She's willing to go save a, a foundling. She's willing to go save Paz Vizsla's child. So he's yeah. appreciative of this. So they they create a little group, the uh, Shriek Hawk training team, Paz Vizsla and Bo and Din, and they have a plan. They have to be careful because if it this is. An animal that is feeding Its children So as most birds do They want to feed their babies With something alive They don't want to kill it before they feed it to them So they keep these children alive Before they feed it To the baby dragons So they they understand Sort of the process that this animal Goes through so they feel like they have A little bit of a window Tim to to Save the kid Um, So yeah. This this actually feels like from here on out, mm-hmm. it feels like how those early episodes of The Mandalorian were. Mm. Like yeah. like something to 
Like, here's what we have to do this week. Save right. the kid from the, the big raptor, right? Yeah. And like Monster that was sort of, of like mo- Monster of the Week, you know, Adventure of the Week. Yeah. It, this one, this felt pretty familiar from here on out. Um, they got a plan. Here's what we need to do. And uh, let's move forward. So I, it's... It's it's worked for this show, right? It's it's mm-hmm. and like it was it was good. It was it wasn't sh- it wasn't long from here moving forward, but yeah, this is something that we become comfortable with. Mm. How do you mean? You're you're, the, you're asking? Oh yeah, I mean like this is something from early on that we we got we got used to. It was hey, here's Cobb Vanth. Yeah, we have to yeah. help them and take care of this. Yeah. Then we move to this next planet. We help Grief Karga here. Boom. You know we it was always mm-hmm. getting something. We the last few episodes we haven't had as much of what we need to do just this week. It's been a little bit bigger. Right. It's been a little bit yeah, more big into picture the, the lore. Yeah, yeah. Right of everything. Um but as they get their team together, Grogu doesn't get to go. This is kind of one of the first times that we'd see Grogu not in a situation like this. He's usually with Din yeah. here, helping Din a lot of the times too, but he stays back with the armorer. Reluctantly, but the armorer is able to teach Grogu a little bit. She she says, this is the forge. If you wish to become a a Mandalorian, there's much work to attend. The forge is the heart of the Mandalorian culture. Just as we shape Mandalorian steel, we shape ourselves. We all begin as raw ore. We refine ourselves through trials and adversity. And as the armorer pounds and shapes something for Grogu... That pounding and that sparking triggers a memory for Grogu. Yeah. It leads to a flashback. And this was awesome. Oh, yeah. uh, a flashback of the night of Order 66, where we have seen this how many times now in different ways, though, from different POVs, right? Point of views from like different perspectives. And now we see baby Grogu. And all the Jedi around pr- trying to protect him. He's in his little floating egg device here. Mm-hmm. And the elevator doors open up. And we meet Kellerin Beck. The Jedi who yeah. saves Grogu. We spoke about him played by Ahmed Best. The actor who voiced and did the live action of Jar Jar Binks. He hosted the kids game show Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge. And now... A man who was harassed and has death threats He gets to be a character Who saves Grogu And has a really Really cool sequence here He okay. takes out a bunch of troopers He gets into a speeder Then we see them flying through Coruscant With the Empire chasing him He keeps letting Grogu know That everything's going to be okay They end up flying Up through um, Like a train station Which was really yeah. awesome Great sequence. Just yeah. cool. Uh, somebody said it reminded them of like the Back to the Future stuff. Like you could see in here where they're sure. in the where they're in the tunnels, which is really cool. And as he arrives to try to get away, um, he flies off. He arrives to try to get away. The troopers quickly find them. But again, he's him and Grogu are able to get away. But we see how horrific this night is. I mean, everywhere they yeah. go, all of his all of the people that he associates with, the other Jedis, they are getting killed. This was the directive to kill all of the Jedi this yeah. night. So anytime we get a, a shot of this night, 
man, it's really cool and it's really it just feels important whenever we do. Oh, sure. Yeah. This felt like a very important sequence for a lot of reasons, like the meta reasons we touched on, just the idea that we're we're finally getting some answers about uh, you know, Grogu's origins and you know how that ties into Order 66. Uh, but we also got some really cool details uh, in the action there. Keller and Beck, um, known as the sabered hand, he was dual wielding those lightsabers and taking out um, troopers left and right. Uh, and as you can see, other Jedi were struck down with only a few troopers, whereas he was just cutting through them like a knife through butter. So this guy must have been a very high level, uh, high powered Jedi back in the day. I believe he was they, they referred to him as kind of like the dean of students at the Jedi Academy. So he must have been a, like a very well-seasoned, highly trained and highly skilled uh, Jedi. All the more cool to have um, Ahmed Best playing that character um, after he got such a raw deal. You know, like we talked about with, with Jar Jar Binks um, being so unfairly maligned and uh, not not well-received back in the day. Um, but yeah, this, this whole sequence had everything... Uh, that you could ask for in a Star Wars uh, action it sequence. Did. I mean, the speeder bike through a, like a, essentially a subway station. Um, you you had like I mentioned, dual wielding lightsabers, uh, flying through uh, Coruscant. Like you really, I got flashbacks to uh, Episode Two, Attack of the Clones, um, and 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 uh, and Anakin. Yeah, when Anakin. Yeah, and and Anakin. Are, absolutely. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So it was really touching on a lot of like visual hallmarks and things that we've seen in the past, but giving it a, a new showing it in a new light and putting a new spin on it. Uh, and it delivered this, this whole sequence delivered. I love the way we kind of flash back through uh, those, like you mentioned, the sparks and the, the kind of mesmerizing, um, you know, hitting of the, the hammer and the, and the steel and the forge uh, uh, creating Grogu's armor and that armored plate. Uh, just the editing of that was really interesting. And it, and it, uh, added to the mystique of it all and and uh it i, I just uh, i think this was one of the high points of the series and it actually made up for the rest of the episode which is where i had most of my complaints yeah um and yeah this 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 is the thing that i'll remember more when i look back I mean, on this completely episode. agree and i'm really interested if we can absolutely get more of him in mm-hmm. like what i was thinking about the creation of the path for obi-wan mm-hmm. The show that, you know, on how we would see people being taken through the path, like that underground railroad. And this is basically like Grogu was like the first one being taken to the path, like to the path to safety. So I'm very curious. There's more to this flashback, right? We know there's going to be another clip coming what happens after it because we've seen sort of the first part of it. And then this felt like the middle and it feels like now where do they go or who does he hand Grogu off to? Oh right. yeah, and there's right. there's some uh, there's some speculation out there. So far, I've heard Princess Leia is is mm-hmm. a really popular answer. Also heard uh, Jar Jar Binks as a popular slash unpopular mm-hmm. option. Yeah, um, I I wouldn't be mad at that if they rehab Jar Jar Binks Me a little neither. bit and had this really cool meta moment where Ahmed Best is playing both characters uh, in a scene. I think that could be really cool, um, depending on how they do it. But uh, yeah, either one of those options sound really great. So Grogu's Grogu now f- flashes back into current time. We uh, we get away from the flashback, and the armorer gives Grogu a a little piece of armor 
that is like his insignia and it it covers his whole chest. It's so big, you know, it's, it's just awesome (laughs) though. And, and it's with the scraps of Beskar that I forge your next piece of armor. Mandalorian steel shall keep you safe as you grow stronger. You will grow into this rondel as you grow into your station foundling Grogu. So Grogu now, as uh, we spoke about last week, is the show The Mandalorian really about Grogu? You know, um, right. who knows? And keep in mind, the, the myth and the lore of the Mandalorian culture was mm-hmm. about a Mandalorian that became a Jedi, which yes. is the combination of things that Grogu has that nobody else does. So is right. he You're- the one, you know? Mm-hmm. That You're referring to Tar, Tar Vizla, right? Tar yeah, Vizla. Vizla's father or grandfather, you know, a, a, a descent of a, a descendant of his, right? So, yeah. really cool, like lore stuff. And I think for the same reasons that you and I might like this, it might be a little mm-hmm. much for people that that kind of came into the Mandalorian just like in the Grogu Din stuff. And this might mm-hmm. be a little bit more kind of tying into some other shows or ideas. I never. I'm never positive on that because I like having to do a little bit of work, but I know for some people yeah. it's, it's different, you know, it, it really is. Mm-hmm. But we check in with Bo, with Din, with Paz Vizla and a few others. They have the, uh, the group. I look, I think there was like seven of them total that were all going to try to get the kid Ragnar back from this big, uh, what looked like a dragon type creature. So here's their plan. We have to continue on foot. Any closer, it will hear the ship. The target is on top of the peak, and we will make a camp here. So they make a camp at night, and they're going to go the next morning. They cannot be loud, though. They have to be discreet. They can't use their ships. They can't use their blasters because if they do, the dragon will hear, and it will kill the kid. Um, So they have to try to be as quiet as possible to save Pasvizla's son's life. And I I really – I appreciated that we kind of got a, the first look at how and how the Mandalorians eat, right? We yeah. like asked this question a lot. Yeah. And I uh, in a I was listening to the Ringer uh, last week, and they they were not talking about eat, but they were more curious about oral sex with Mandalorians, <laughs> which was so funny. It was really funny. They were going off on a tangent. They're like, so I guess they just don't do that. They're just none of that, right? And you know, none of that. In in, but um, nonetheless. <laughs> Carefully placed bed sheet or something. Uh, right? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, Din, um, Bo asks Din as they are cooking and preparing uh, their dinner. She she doesn't really know what to do. How do you eat when other people are around you? And mm-hmm. Din says, You don't. You get your food. <laughs> you go off to find a place where you can take off your helmet. Yeah. So everybody, we see that happen. Everybody gets their food, they all go off in their separate ways. But as Bo gets ready to leave, Paz Vizsla comes and tells her, you are the leader of the war party. You have the honor of staying by the fire. This is the way. So she's already being treated like a leader, like one of the most important people around. And again, she's able to take off her helmet now so we can kind of see it on her face a little bit more. But she's moved by this. She's being addressed as the leader of the war party. And mm-hmm. all of the other people left her. This group of people is showing her respect. They're treating her like she's a really big deal, like she's something important. They've shown her camaraderie. She's she just seems really conflicted, like in a good way. 
So right. I don't think he knows what to think here. Yeah, and I was conflicted about this scene too, actually, uh, because I like this little tidbit of of uh, lore of Mandalorian lore here of you know how how they eat that that piece of information, um, but it didn't ring tr- something about it just seemed false. I think it just ties into just the, you know, the nature of, you know, being a human being, uh, and in our society and like every culture, how we bond over, over food. And that's just something that's so ingrained in the idea that there is like a humanoid culture out there where they're not sharing food, where they're taking their food and eating it separately. Like to me, that, that just seems so foreign and so, um, unlikely, that it just it, it, it that took me out of it. However, I could kind of look at it from another perspective and go, okay, well, what other examples in you know the world are there of dogma where human beings are doing something you know for a religion or for a culture uh, that that really does go against like the natural state of things or what you would expect a human to do. I mean, human beings do all sorts of crazy and very specific things for you know, out of one reason or another, usually related to superstition or dogma or, you know, something like that. So I kind of was able to buy into it uh, ultimately. However, the thing that kind of struck me and took me out of it was just that the scene existed at all in the context of this story that we were telling. It felt like this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They need to get to this kid like like yesterday. Like they 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 don't have time for this in in the in the story. Like this should have happened should... at the covert, not here. Right, like, and it, maybe it should happen as part of another story. Just because right. the idea that they're waiting a whole night and this kid's gonna survive that, and I, I feel like you. the writers the writers just did that so they can have the opportunity to reveal this Mandalorian lore and push that part of the story forward of a you know Bo being the the, the uh, leader of the search party and so forth, but. It felt so like like unrealistic that it just takes me out of it because there's no way this kid's gonna survive that long. Even if the the um you know the the, the prey this this kid <laughs> is supposed to be uh, kept alive, like how long is this uh, is this beast gonna keep the kid alive before he feeds his his young? Like why well, would he be feeding the, the young yet? It, it and I even no sense. said that Paz Vizla is obviously showing her a lot of honor. His son is, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, he's not right. more, like more worried about his son that's captured right now. It's like, hey, you sit by the fire. I'm gonna go eat. We'll take care yeah, of this. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't they skip dinner and urgency? just go straight up the mountain? Yeah, there's like, no sense of urgency like- here. And even one more thing on this too. Um, that again, I <laughs> can't help but hear the voice of Bill Burr saying this. <laughs> is it where he says, "So which one is it? Is it you can't take off your helmet, or that no one can see your face?" Right, right, right. Right. So, like, that's what I'm wondering here. Like, which one is it? Is it that you can't take off your helmet? Because you obviously can take off your helmet to go eat, but it's really that you're not allowed to let somebody else see your face. So, um, yeah. again, a little bit weird, a little bit strange. I like when they show us things, but I com- I agree with you. It it might have been out of place. Like, this would have been better served the night before, right? Yeah. Like, they that the kid is gone because the timing was just a little bit off. It just Bo. feels like after all this, there's no chance the kid's going to be alive. Like, what are we even doing here? But he is. The next yeah. morning, <laughs> the next morning, they head up to the raptor's lair. Our hope is that the child is still alive, so we have to make sure to not fire on the raptor. It will kill the foundling if attacked. It has happened before when it has taken others. Our best bet is stealth. So 
they start to scale a huge wall to try to get to the nest. And while they're they get up and see the nest, Din is able to use some of his radar and he can see and sense a heat source. So he points it out, but as he does, Paz Vizla gets this is funny, mm-hmm. right? Because this is contradictory to what was happening the night before, just like yeah. what you're talking about. He <laughs> he was fine with waiting an entire night. <laughs> no problem. But now we see something moving around in the nest. We have no idea if it is even his son, but mm-hmm. he starts screaming, Ragnar, Ragnar, he's my son. And he stupidly goes running after whatever it <laughs> yeah. is without a plan. And he puts everybody at in jeopardy of getting killed here. He's thinking this is yeah. his son, and it's not. It's the little baby dragons or the baby raptors in their nest. They all start to attack Paz Vizla, and of course, all of this commotion alerts the big one. So they're in some trouble here, TK. This was not smart yeah. tactics by a, a old Paz. Oh, the the full on Leroy Jenkins running yeah. uh, guns a blazing. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll say that was not the the most thought out uh, uh, approach to no. to winning the day here. Uh, and yeah, it it, uh, it again, it's just inconsistent logic. Like he was, you know, taking his sweet time up until that very moment, and then all of a sudden, when it really counts, uh, he blows it completely because he can't wait another moment. Uh, makes very little sense. But uh, what are you gonna do? Also, yeah. I, I think that um, I, I'm not I'm not sure, but I think until that that point, we didn't know for certain that he was the dad. No, this, this was the first right? time he, that he said it. He kind of reveals it to us as the audience. So That's I thought my that, son. Was, that was kind of interesting, and it adds another layer to maybe the journey of these characters of like interpersonal connection um, superseding their their you know their dogma and their creed their creed. Uh, like I think that perhaps. Uh, his journey could be, you know, I don't know how to put it, but like some kind of coming to terms with, um, you know, making, uh, being a little bit more moderate, I guess, in, the, in their mm-hmm. expression of their faith and, mm-hmm. and, and, and being a little bit more human to one another. I mean, I, I, like embracing family, like the things that were wrong with the Jedi, the, the, like no attachment. You can't have like familial love or romantic love really as, as a Jedi Similarly, the, the Mandalorians, their 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 whole culture is kind of cutting out that you know interpersonal human connection, the emotion, yeah, um, in the emotion. And so perhaps that this is part of that, like uh, reconciling you know that part of their humanity, and that'll be part of his journey. Will be kind of coming to terms with like being a father, you know, a, a human being father uh, for a heck of a better term than just like a Mandalorian. Um, and maybe the maybe overall their journeys are going to be to kind of find um, a balance in the middle. Whereas right now they're just being so extreme one way or the other. Uh, You know, if you look at Bo-Katan, she was completely faithless. Whereas these Mandalorians, you know, under the tutelage of the armor, they're, you know, they're zealots. Maybe there's a a, a healthy balance that they can all find to kind of find better harmony. And that's kind of where this thing's driving at. So pause. Not not in the best of spot here. Uh, <laughs> he, he's in the nest, but we actually see the his child get spit out uh, by the by the big beast, and then that big beast flying around grabs Ragnar by the claws. Bo goes flying after them with the other Mandalorians. 
man, she is so badass. She lands on it. She stabs it in the eye and she's able to weaken it. So they all attack from different sides. We also got another cool like falling sequence with Ragnar falling, but Din is able to get down and save him. Um, And right as they get close to the ground, close to the water, that huge beast from the water from the other episode jumps up and eats the eats the dragon. So yeah, we've There's got always beast, a bigger fish. Beast on beast crime here as uh yeah, I thought like visually it was kind of cool. It was kind of fun and they've been leaning into the monsters in this uh but mm-hmm. we we definitely rolled our eyes at a couple things uh along the sure. way with their plan and and how it worked. Yeah, yeah, I I hope that throughout the series they can rein in the realism a little bit more. Just mm-hmm. I I want the fantastic stories. I want to be taken to a new locale that I've never seen before and see creatures that I've never experienced before. But I want them to, it all to be tied together with like some type of believable logic. And I think where it, this these episodes have suffered is where they didn't quite buoy everything with a, a believable logic, where they, they, they strain credibility a little bit by, you know, forcing certain elements of plot here or there to, uh, to advance the story where they wanted to go, but it was at the sacrifice of the realism and, and, uh, at the, and it sacrificed perhaps what the characters would really do if they were in that situation. And that's where I think as an audience member, we kind of disconnect a little bit and we lose, you know, um, our, our sense of being really involved and invested in these stories. But, uh, on the flip side, they delivered so much really good, you know, backstory lore with, with Grogu and so many great um, sequences, the action, uh, the things that we love about Star Wars, uh, like incredible space and aerial battles, um, really cool uh, uh, creature design. Uh, that's one mm-hmm. thing we didn't mention is yes. whatever the name of this creature was from this episode, uh, it's, it's hatchlings uh, were very cool to look at. It itself was very cool. I mean, this was a high level design, something that you would see out of Avatar or a feature uh, feature-length film on the, on the highest level. So I, I, I got to applaud them for all that. Uh, but still, we just need a little bit more <laughs> just tightening of the screws when it comes to you know, logic and, and the, the story. I, I think that they could be a little bit better. Off to a really good start, though. These first four uh, episodes, I think they've course-corrected a lot of the issues uh, plaguing Star Wars and Disney Plus shows in the past. Uh, however, they're still being plagued by some of those issues uh, same issues that you know bother us with with the uh, the Marvel series as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we head back to the Mandalorian covert, and we get cheers all over, mm-hmm. and the armorer says, "Bo-Katan Kreese, you have honored your house and all of Mandalore. You have done the highest honor of the Creed, saving a foundling. This is the way." And you could every time they say, "This is the way," now it feels <laughs> a little more powerful. You know, yeah. <laughs> like you can feel it a little bit more when Bo is saying it and when they're saying it back and forth, when, when her and Din say it back and forth to each other. Sometimes yeah. it's like a, I love it's a, there's like a, almost something like that coming out. So it's, mm-hmm. it's great. And, and Bo says, we have brought you three more foundlings in need of care and training. Here come the diet, those baby dragons, the yeah. hatchlings, they come walking out. And so now they'll be able to sort of tame their own beasts. Now, um, and we know that the Mandalorians, you know, the tales of them riding the mythosaur, so they are supposed yeah. to be able to tame these, uh, tame 
like major beasts. The armorer tells Bo Katan, come with me, your need of a repair. I can replace what's missing, but not with its modern refinements. You want me to put the signet of the night owl? And Bo asks, can I wear one of the night owl and another with the mythosaur? The armorer <laughs> agrees. The mythosaur belongs to all Mandalorians. It is always acceptable to wear. And Bo happily says, I would like that. And then she as she says to the armorer, what would you say if I told you I saw one? A mythosaur. The armorer says, you're very lucky. It's a noble vision. She said, no, I mean a real one. Beneath the living waters on Mandalore. The armorer sort of plays it down again. When you choose to walk the ways of the Mandalore, you will see many things. But Bo again assures her, it was real. And the armorer says, this is the way. And you just wonder, what is she thinking? What is Bo thinking yeah. here as we finish this episode? I'm very curious, like, what is percolating in Bo's mind now? Does she want to be a like a, a part of this group? Is she going to use this group to try to, you know, take back the throne that she thinks is rightly hers? Is her mindset changed now? I, I'm very mm-hmm. fascinated where she's going to go here. And then how is this all going to tie back yeah. in with, the likelihood that we see a Moff Gideon show up because we can't completely forget about what happened in episode three with Dr. Pershing and everything going on there. So this is going to all have to come together in some way. And I'm very curious, like for, and this is how most TV shows are. I overall, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty positive about this for Mm -hmm. like the gripes that I have. They're small. Um, There are things that I think could have been done better, but when we finish it up, I'm excited for where we're going to the next episode. Yeah, and that's been pretty consistent from episode to episode. You know, we've had our our complaints here and there, more so in these last two. uh, But there was enough strong beats uh, throughout the episode, and then it ended strong to where, you know, I'm looking forward to the next one. I like all the the pieces they've put into place, and uh, I want to see where it's going. Um, That sequence at the end uh, was was really interesting, too. Uh, And it was it was a, a scene with two characters both with their helmets on you have no facial expressions the camera work was just kind of static but maybe pushing in just ever so slightly and then uh cutting back and forth between them getting closer and i really still felt like i could feel the emotions of the of the characters in that in that sequence it, coming through in their voices and just the way that the camera held onto the the uh, the the really cool uh helmet you know there's something about that helmet just on its on its own it's it's cool to watch it it's it cuts light really well that's one of the reasons why boba fett was so popular as a character when he you know barely spoke two lines uh in the original uh uh, original trilogy but he's this iconic character it's in large part because of that great look look. so just on its own that does a lot of the heavy lifting for you as a fan just watching these uh the cool production design of these these mandalorian helmets uh but besides that the way it all comes together and, and builds up this mythology and, and the, the little bit of the mystery behind it. And it's, it's fun to believe it's fun to like, to have this kind of magical realism element. That That's what was so fun about star Wars from the beginning. You got the sci-fi like mashup with this like fanta- fantasy, you know, fantastical wizards and, and, and magical realism in, in interspersed throughout, uh, this, you know, this sci-fi story with lasers and spaceships and stuff like that. That's a very unique tone that Star Wars strikes. And uh, I think they're doing that really well on The Mandalorian specifically. 
I agree. We are now halfway home. Four episodes down in the eight episode season three of The Mandalorian. We are very lucky to have our buddy Tim Kelly, who's helped us out with uh, MCU Marvel stuff, with Star Wars stuff. And not only that, Tim and his wife Jackie are super talented musicians. TK, I posted a, a little tweet that was talking about your song Last of Us because. There's no more yes. The Last of Us now. Uh, if, if anybody needed a Last of Us fix, they could get that. But anyone out there who wants to check out, who loves your voice, that great voice of yours, who wants to check <laughs> out more of your work, let them know how they can do so. Yeah, you can check us out. Um, you could follow me uh, at Ice Cream Fire on uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find our music on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, anywhere that you stream uh, music. SoundCloud as uh, SoundCloud as well. You just mentioned that song Last of Us. We put that out actually in 2015, inspired by the the original video game, but it's also an homage to all the great um, zombie TV shows, movies, comic so cool. books, uh, video games. So there's a lot of references uh, throughout that. It's a it's a tribute uh, to to those films and uh, even like Shaun of the Dead. I got a couple of references in there. So uh, just just having fun with it there. So if you want to check that out. Uh, I was a big fan of Last of Us. Me too. Not just the game, but this this series on HBO. I loved the way they ended it. I thought they really pulled it off. It was something special. So if you are uh, looking out for, for some more Last of Us and interested, uh, you can check that out. Uh, just look us up, Ice Cream Fire on Spotify. Really fun. And you're obviously fans of Pedro Pascal if you're listening to yes. this with Mando. <laughs> so you probably were a fan of uh, Pedro and The Last of Us. And check out that great song and uh, all the uh, the fantastic stuff. Yeah, I've seen some of your shows like way. It's funny to think about way back because it's already 2023. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> 10, 10 years ago or so when, wow. uh, when that was going <laughs> down. But um, always happy to be talking with my buddy Tim Kelly. And if you want to check out some of his great music with his wife, Jackie, please do so. Um, and Tim just showed, told you all the great ways you can uh, you can follow along and check that stuff out. So, buddy, thank you so much. We'll uh, talk some episode five next week. I always appreciate you helping out. And uh, yeah. Two, only two recaps because we talked about both of them already halfway through this series. Wow. Well, I can't wait to to talk about the back half of this uh, series with you. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, where they take us, where Dave Filoni and John Favreau, what they have in store for us. Uh, I'm looking forward to discussing that with you. Yeah. And I think I just saw a tweet that came out that said Secret Invasion on Disney Plus June the 21st. So oh, wow. that'll be a. <laughs> And the Marvel MCU show that comes, we know that we'll be getting Loki. We got a nice teaser for that. And uh, at some point when Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania comes over to Disney Plus, Tim and I will do a a recap and review of it. It'll make it a little bit easier for us when we can watch it on Disney Plus and watch it back a few times for our recap. So we'll uh, we'll just do that then when I'm sure everyone will still probably watch that again when it comes to Disney Plus. So, buddy. Love covering all this ground with you, man. Thank you so much. You have a great Thank rest you. of your week, and we'll talk some Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 5 next week. Thank you to Tim for joining us for Mandalorian Recap. So hopefully next week we should be able to just get to uh, Episode 5, and then we should be able to finish up the last four week by week with the schedule of uh, everything going on lately. I appreciate everyone understanding that it was just a little bit off and a little bit different than normal. So we'll have more Coming up this week with Gulfstream Park and a look at all the stakes races there on Florida Derby Day. We'll have some coverage from Santa Anita for some of their races this weekend. The next weekend, it's Santa Anita and Keeneland that have the big days. And uh, the WrestleMania Roundtable. Andrew Champagne, Chad Cooper, Darren Zocali all will join me to talk about WrestleMania Nights 1 and 2 coming up this week. Good luck in all your uh, 
your wagering this weekend. Hope everyone uh, has a nice, I guess it's still early in the week, right? Hope everyone has a nice couple days, and we'll talk to you again real soon right here on That's What She Said.